welcome to First Friday Five. It's the first Friday of the month, and we're watching five episodes of a TV show and then judging it based solely on those five episodes. Today's show for June, the first Friday of June, we're talking about the newly ended Succession. As always, I'm Corbin Zavokal, and of course, joining me is uh, the heir to the throne, Cody Webb. Cody, what's going on? Not too much, man. Excited to be back for First Friday 5, our first episode, you know, after May Mania. Coming off a lot of fun uh, through there, so if you guys didn't check that out, obviously peep back through, the, you know, that catalog. But we're starting off with the bang in June, I think. This is going to be a really fun one. Yeah, and kind of something new because the show literally just ended four days ago when it comes to the release of this episode. So we, we jumped on it early with uh, the succession train. We wanted to, you know, st- hit it while it's relevant. That is true. And it's very relevant. So it should be fun kind of just newly raw episode as well. Cause we haven't really talked about uh, even the finale much uh, in our past pods. I don't think in our rec. So it'd be fun to get kind of just our general thoughts on the, you know, entire last season as a whole, as well as, you know, going back and looking at some of the earlier stuff too, but yeah, definitely going to be a good one. Here are the five episodes we're going to be talking about today. Episode one, of course, for our pilot is The Celebration, season one, episode one. The second episode we'll be talking about is the lowest rated episode, season one, episode three, Lifeboats. And then Cody, your choice was season two, episode 10, titled This Is Not For Tears, which is the season finale of season two. Um, And then the highest rated episode, our fourth pick here, is season four, episode three, Connor's Wedding, which is a huge episode for the show. If it wasn't on there, I'm sure we would have picked it. Um, and then, of course, the finale, season four, episode 10, with open eyes. Uh, good little assortment here. We're missing season three, but otherwise, uh, we're hitting a lot of bases with these five. And I think that's one of the unique things about the show, too, is obviously it's only four seasons long. But uh, it's kind of a big deal in, in today's pop culture, I feel like. Uh, I was definitely a little bit later on the bandwagon. I only watched this past, the last season four, uh, like actually live with everybody else. So I was a little, I, I believe you were on the train a little bit earlier too, Corbin, right? Well, you know, this kind of leads us right into the beginning conversation. What is succession? Yeah. You know, how many people are into it? What's going on with it? So I will say I was a little bit before you, but... I was not watching the show in its early days. Um, it obviously started to air in June of 2018 and ran until, you know, just this past May 28th of 2023. Season three, I watched like right after it aired. And then I've been waiting this whole time. So I really, I, season four, again, like you, was the first time I saw it live. I think a lot of people honestly got in around the season three, season four range because of the release of HBO Max, to be entirely honest with you. That launched in 2020. Succession season two had aired that previous fall in 2019. And then Succession season three, I think, is when a lot of people really jumped on the bandwagon in the fall of 2021 ton of people had HBO Max, you know, we'd all gone through the euphoria and, and that, you know, layers of the HBO on HBO Max kind of thing. And it was extremely important to the show becoming more popular. I will say, Cody, this isn't an extremely popular show in the history of television. The finale of it only had 2.9 million viewers. And that was wow. the highest rated episode of the show, like across the entire series. Interesting. 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, this. I feel like it's a mainstream show, but those numbers really don't wow me. So maybe it is kind of just overplayed a little bit on social media. Well, that is, it is social media. And I think particularly both of us are members of Gen Z. And I think there's this weird, like, whether it be a TikTok or Twitter craze and appreciation for the show, like it's really overtaken that world even more so beyond its viewership like i know so many people i see people in tiktok comments who are like i've never watched an episode of succession but i'm invested in all these fan cams and i know about tom and shiv and like there's a transcendence to this show and i think that's what makes you know big pop cultural hits big pop cultural hits it's even if you don't watch it you know about it and that's pretty cool too kind of seeing it transcend even its own uh, medium in a sense but also, I, I think it does do that just because it is kind of ridiculously good, which we'll definitely get into. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely helps. I think word of mouth was massive for the show because everybody after I think, you know, season two it was like, oh, you got to catch up for the next season. And then the exact same thing for the third season. So, yeah, it definitely plays a factor. I think of that. And, and we'll talk about it. This show, like many others, starts off a little slow. It has to find its footing at first so it makes sense that in season two season three when it's really starting to cook and of course if you've seen those finales you'd probably be telling your friends oh shit you got to go check this out and get ready for the next season because that's one thing they always ended with a bang and i think that's how kind of i got onto the show because you had started binging it and being like well that's the thing i watched the first season and i was like yeah it's okay i didn't even make it to the end and then once i finally got really cooking it i was i was locked I believe uh, Junior, Jake Ross. It was Jake. Jake, was, Jake uh, was early before me. I'll, shout I'll out Junior, a true Succession fan, I would say. We're, we're not really, you know, deep cut Succession fans like Junior. So shout out. Let's talk about the history of the making of the show a little bit. So we'll just, very simply, if you don't know, if you're listening to this and you've never watched Succession, um, it's an American satirical dark comedy that was created by Jesse Armstrong. Um, like I said, you know, HBO Four Seasons, 39 episodes total across its run. It's about the Roy family who own this big media conglomerate. Waystar Royco is the name of that. Um, and they're all basically fighting amongst themselves to try and have control of this empire. Brian Cox plays Logan Roy. He's seated behind you in your wonderful background. Uh, you're basically becoming him a little bit. There he is. Uh, Brian Cox plays Logan Roy. And, you know... He is the king and all of his children are, are vying for, for a piece of uh, what he's got. And uh, that's that's really what it's all about. Pretty good description, I think. Um, obviously, Brian Cox at the center of it all. But the side characters, I think, are, are definitely the standouts. And uh, the writing, of course, too, which we'll get into. But yeah, well described. I think uh, the three main kind of children are really like the head of the seats of who, who is succeeding here as well. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, of course, you, you know, you've got Kendall, Shiv, and Roman, uh, those three that you like described. We will all get further into their characters as we go through. Um, Jesse Armstrong, a British man, making a, a show about a, a rich American family is, you know, some a, a different perspective. And I think it's a perspective that I can really appreciate and I enjoy. Um, he had originally conceived of this as a feature-length film based purely around, like, the Murdoch family, which obviously these characters have a lot of similarities to the Murdoch family, but they also have a lot of similarities to other large, rich media families. So he originally conceived of it as just this feature-length film about the, the Murdochs. That didn't get any traction. No one was really interested in producing it, and it just wasn't going to happen. So then he kind of turned to it. He, he decided to just kind of look at Wall Street 
in a larger lens, examine everything as a whole, bring in some of those other families, like I mentioned, uh, the Redstones, the Maxwells, the Soulsburgers, and basically turn it into a TV pilot. And he wrote that up. He got up with Adam McKay and of course, Adam McKay and Will Ferrell's production company um, kind of worked on this to help put it together. Um, McKay is the director of the first episode, you know, shot the pilot and then in May of 2016, HBO, you know, picked it up and, and decided to, you know, produce the rest of the first season um, and uh, it went on from there. I think it's pretty interesting as well that Adam McKay was kind of the linchpin. Uh, it's kind of getting this made in a sense, obviously directing the pilot, pretty massive. And um, I believe he, he stayed on as like a producer uh, throughout, you know, several of the seasons. But uh, I feel like this is not really his project, but definitely like his brand name helped a ton to kind of get it rolling, I think. It's totally a topic that I can understand why Adam McKay would be interested in it. Oh, yeah. And at the same time, I'm so glad that he did not necessarily stay extremely heavily involved because I, I think the version, his version of succession would be massively different. It would still maybe be good and interesting in some ways, but I think there's a certain honestly like operatic Shakespearean nature to what Armstrong and, and Mark Mylod through a lot of these episodes created that I don't necessarily think Adam McKay is, is interested in doing, honestly. It's uh, definitely a little bit different from like, you know, the big short or some, or some, uh, you know, other typical political stuff you would tackle. I feel like it is both, they both have comedy elements, but I feel like it's much more satirical kind of in, in Jesse Armstrong's camp. Yeah, definitely styles that mix a little bit, but very unique at the same time, I think. I, I think the biggest thing that McKay probably helped is that directorial style in that first episode, because he really set up a lot of the, the plans yeah, right. of how the, the cinematography would be done. It's all shot handheld, 35 millimeter film, kind of a little bit in essence, similar to like Dogma 95 stuff that like Lars von Trier and Thomas Venterberg were doing um, in the 90s. It's really unique. And you've got to credit McKay for that. You've also, like you said, got to credit him for putting his brand name on there, putting a little bit of money out there and helping get this show to HBO and uh, and, and trusting Jesse Armstrong and, and his team to to kind of, you know, handle things from there. And shout out Will Ferrell as well, of course. Can't leave you <laughs> I wish uh, he, he made a cameo at some point. This was, this was like the beginning of Succession was the end of their relationship. Yeah. Because it, uh, this was, you know, he produces succession first and then he's got the HBO relationship. He's starting to make winning time and winning time is obviously the thing that drives the wedge between them. Will Ferrell, not, you know, playing the role, the main role that goes to John T. Riley eventually. Um, so yeah, like their names are on this first season, but I don't think Will Ferrell had anything to do with this at all, really beyond just, you know, it's being their kind of company that's kind of attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> he probably threw some money in the and beginning. i'm not and honestly i'm not sure like after this show how many further things you know how many more projects would ha have both their names on it it's a good question actually i'm not sure but they need to come back together good duo i think um i wanted to talk about the shakespearean nature of this a little bit cody do you, do you know too have you done very much research on you know the inspirations of of old bill <laughs> i don't think i've gone as deep as you possibly have but I know the Murdoch family is obviously a massive thing, but you think Billy Boy is, you know, a main feature of this show? Oh, oh definitely, definitely. Cody, <laughs> you know, those Brits, they love, uh, they love Willie. The interesting thing is, you know, a lot of people throughout its run have compared it to different Shakespearean tragedies at different points. And it definitely has those aspects, but it's not one singular story. You can't be like, oh, I know that this is Romeo and Juliet. So I know how it's going to end. You know, there's a lot of times where you watch, 
a movie or show that is clearly a, a riff on Romeo and Juliet, you understand how it's going to end because that's such an ingrained story in our culture. This, it's really multiple plays kind of playing out at once and kind of playing with multiple ideas from different things. So the first obvious comparison that people most generally bring it to is King Lear, which is this essentially a play about a king and his three children and all this land he has and this kingdom that he has and how the three children are fighting over that land. And, and, you know, one of the kids doesn't, you know, gives up their right to fight for it. So then it's the other two pushing up. It, it's very similar stuff. It's very obvious to play on it. Um, obviously the differences are this play, the king is around for the entire debate. I think he dies in the closing moments where obviously we get, you know, a good two thirds of a season without our king. Um, and then of course the next common, uh, attribution that I think even the writers Jesse Armstrong have really pulled on they said you know Richard III which is is very much the role of Kendall obviously this is both historical drama and real tragedy but in that that's about you know a son of a king who's taking on the crown and you know Richard III is essentially Kendall in this case and he betrays everyone and he kills his nieces and his nephews and his family and you know he gets his crown in the end but when he sits upon the throne he has no one left in the end of this, Kendall obviously doesn't get the crown, but he does, you know, lose Jess, he loses Rava, he loses his kids, he loses Shiv, he, he loses literally everybody he ever had um, is sitting alone. So very similar to Richard III that way. And then Macbeth as well, Tom and Shiv are basically Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, uh, you know, vying for that crown together. One of them gets it in the end. And of course, as it was in the uh, 1300s, you know, it's the man, not the woman. <laughs> Yeah, true. Definitely a lot of thoughts on the issue of it in the finale, I think, is, is incoming. And also as well, uh, Kendall did have somebody at the end of everything. He had uh, Logan's bodyguard. So, you know, at least he had true. one in all the men. He did have Colin. <laughs> but, but yeah, good points. I think Shakespeare in a, a kind of dialogue-wise, too, obviously it's not the old-timing language, but a lot of it I feel like you can translate a little bit from, uh, you know, the, the pieces you were talking about there. Definitely good points. Obviously, the King Lear is is kind of like the basis of the show, but I think the Tom Shim relationship, especially season to season, like it gets even more and more interesting. So, yeah, a lot of a uh, kind of copycat a little bit there. I feel like, but good points. The show was uh, very well awarded. I'm sure it will be further awarded this next round of Emmys. Uh, it's been nominated 48 times at the Emmys. It won 13, nine Golden Globe nominations, five wins, and one. Grammy. Um, mm. so there you go. I like that a lot. I think that's uh, definitely uh, deserve no question on that one. And that leads us into, of course, our next section, the opening title sequence and the main theme. Cody, I got to say, man, <laughs> Succession's music is, there's so many great things about the show, but it may be the best part of the show, which is saying a lot. It is incredibly fantastic. Uh, obviously, Nicholas Bertel, we got to shout him out. He is the composer. Uh, but what do you think about the, the music and the theme, man? I think it's top, top tier stuff. Uh, <laughs> I may be as big or even bigger fan than you, if I'm being completely honest of it. Uh, it's kind of just, I mean, the theme song specifically, but just the route, kind of the score, uh, underlying score as well is really, really good and just really well thought out and really well done. Um, but yeah, I mean, the theme song specifically too, kind of just like, it's a perfect mix of like, that classical music you think of like with these fancy families and then also kind of like throws in a cool beat like a, a hip-hop you know new york flavor as well so it's kind of symbolic of the show which is even better i think and it also just sounds really really cool 
But uh, yeah, theme song, I think, uh, you know, out of obviously we've only done a few episodes here, but it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty high for me. But yeah, I'll throw it over to you. I, I know you're a big fan as well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. There's just something about the music that like gets you in a certain zone and mood. And I, I sent you the video earlier today of, of Bertel basically breaking down his like work on the score and how he made up the theme and how, you know, it's kind of evolved over the first two seasons. Cause I think that video is from 2019, but um, I'll, I'll play some of it here and then I'll link it in the description as well. The score for Succession has a similar duality that I think the, the show has, which is this combination of elements of absurdity and also a deep gravitas under the surface because the show itself is dealing with very serious issues of concentrations of power and wealth in the hands of fewer and fewer people focused in the media industry. But at the same time, there's a human side of the story which focuses on some of the day-to-day -day absurdities and pettiness and strife among the cast of characters. But it was interesting, he was like, you know, what kind of music would the Roys imagine themselves listening to? And then he said he was talking about, he was watching, you know, Kendall sitting there rapping, you know, Beastie Boys in the first episode. And he's like, okay, I like the hip hop and we'll also, you know, bring in, like you said, the orchestral ancient, like, dun dun, like beautiful violins and piano. And yeah, it, it... there's this sort of immediate dissonance right from the top of the piece where, you know, you hear this sort of C minor chord, but there's actually a B natural in it, which gives you this immediate sense that something is maybe potentially off. And the melody line on top, this, if you break it down right away from the top, there's these sort of accented dissonances, which aren't in the scale. So, you know, this, you go on an A flat major chord, that note isn't, isn't part of the scale. So I'm constantly winding in these notes that aren't part of the scale just to kind of like jolt the music in a different direction. So see how things are always kind of off kilter with themselves like the family in the show it's this cool mishmash of dissonant chords that's like uneasy but also beautiful and yeah it's it's also just incredibly unique like i feel like it just doesn't really sound like anything else i'd say it's elite uh it's the elite of the elite i think in my opinion too it's almost unskippable as a uh, kind of I, that theme. as i was i watched all five episodes today i did not skip no, I watched it every single time. <laughs> no chance. If uh, you skip during this theme song, let us know because I would be uh, very, very surprised. I also like uh, just talking about the specific theme song as well a little bit more, like the specific kind of title cards and stuff that they use. It does change season to season, which mm -hmm. I don't think happens a ton really in in uh, kind of shows like this. It's very like but, subtle and interesting changes. Yeah, and also just like the overall imagery, I think is cool. Um, obviously, just like the New York stock footage, like sets the the setting up a little bit more uh, in the modern day. And then the old timey, you know, film reels of of them as kids, I think is really interesting too. As the season goes along, they kind of like add on different stuff as well, like new Roman stuff, new ship ship stuff in season three and season four. I think, but yeah, it kind of just shows them at a point where we never really see them in the show either but it was definitely kind of a a very interesting time 
also like them lighting up cigars and like riding on the elephants <laughs> i think it's just iconic so i love every kind of piece of it the family aspect of the show is so central to its idea and what their childhood was like is also extremely important to who they've become as people and how they've become these like unserious distance you know fake phony people and this is the beaut like the perfect encapsulation of that it's these imageries of the looming father not really being present but over like constantly watching and, and brooding and being dictatorial over top of you but then also leaving this like posh 80 90s rich garden state wolf of wall street mansion lifestyle in the hills paired with the modern the the dirty new york news corporations and the the headlines and the business and the money and yeah i, I think it just like perfectly sets up those those two aspects of of like the capitalism and the family of it all so um i i love it i think the season four like title cards and intro is probably my favorite. I think the way it continues yeah. to adapt. I mean, there's, they're constantly even changing like what the news headlines is throughout. Like they're, they're just tweaking different stuff and, and adapting it to the world that they're setting up for that individual episode. I agree too. I think the season four one is definitely my favorite. Obviously, I mean, and going, this is the first time I've been rewatching these episodes too. So going back in season one, it's like, oh crap. Yeah, I forgot. Like it was only kind of Kendall in the original card. Uh, which is kind of funny looking back on it because <laughs> I think there possibly were a ton of rewrites um, even going into season two. Uh, obviously, I don't know. But um, I think that is interesting, like how much it did change from season one all the way to season four. Yeah, I mean, they definitely were expanding on stuff. Um, I think there's some great shots of like the kids like the three children and then like Connor, <laughs> like yeah. the four kids being separated. And it's it's all great stuff like that. And it's like we literally never see these kids in any other part of the show but it's like they shot all this footage just for the title sequence which i think is a really cool touch as well yeah that is cool i wonder uh if those kid extras will go out and do anything and be like oh i had my big break in the, the succession theme song not even from the show that'd be crazy the other thing about this music is it i think it also plays into the social media kind of popularity of this thing because the music is so transcendent and iconic and so recognizable like i it's it, it's the background it scores things i've seen videos of like joe jonas doing a dj set in new york city where he's opening with the succession theme song or yesterday i was at a mets game and they run out to the succession theme song that drops out into the tokyo drift by theme by the teriyaki boys i mean like yeah. cody it's it's new york iconic <laughs> stuff right here yeah i think it embodies new york a lot too and it's definitely caught on on social media I think that should definitely be our clip of the week is just that intro <laughs> to the, the Tokyo Drift. That may be the best thing I've ever heard in my life. But yeah, lo love New York. That's like the perfect, that's like Cody encapsulated. It's yeah. like baseball game, succession music, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> That is probably one of the best like mashups of music I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> I know where I want to rank this one. Oh, uh, yeah. I think this has got to go number one. I believe so. And um, remind us, too, I believe we have Psych sitting above the office currently right now. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. Psych above the office. Both two strong contenders, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure what will ever knock Succession off. I don't know. 
It'll be tough. Yeah, I'm definitely with you here too and, and thinking it deserves a top spot. I don't know if anybody will be able to crack that top three too easily either, uh, in my opinion. But yeah, the, this one I think will be sitting atop the rankings. Um, I honestly don't know what else would beat it. Maybe Game of Thrones or something, possibly close, but I like this better than that. I'm already playing my cards. So Sopranos has a decent theme, but it's yeah, not there's, quite. There's obviously a lot of good ones, but yeah, recency bias be damned, but this is really, really good music. I agree, absolutely. Number one spot. Good job, Succession. Shout out Nicholas Bertel. <laughs> Let's get into the five episodes, Cody. Starting off with our first one, the pilot, episode 101, the celebration. Like you said, there, there are a lot of changes, and I think we can kind of highlight some of that stuff maybe off the bat. Um, the main thing a lot of people always point out, Roman like has a kid in this episode, um, <laughs> yeah. which we never see again. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Is it is it good that they removed his child from the story? I would say for his character, probably. And um, at first I was like, who are these people sitting next to Roman? Like, I don't even understand. Also, Kendall's kids are different because his one adopted child, I don't remember her name, is the same and stay well i don't know if it's the same actress but it like he has that kid but he his other kid his son does not exist in the pilot i don't think he's not there i don't know about that i think he actually is i was gonna say in season four i feel like his kids just disappear but they're well talking. that's like yeah that's they don't show up on screen but that's more telling i'm pretty sure Kendall's i'm pretty sure hood practices I'm fairly certain his kid was in season <laughs> This is how confusing it is, though, because every episode we watched, it was probably like a different actor, different kid. Maybe they only had one kid. Anywho, another one of the massive differences I wanted to point out, too. Everybody calls Marsha. Marcy. <laughs> what is that? How do you just change a character's name from the pilot for the rest of the series? I, I think that's uh, kind of strange and just lazy you didn't need to do that well yeah i think it is like that her name is still marcia but like everyone's calling her marcy but then i guess they must have decided that's like too informal that she would i, I don't know why they would switch it it's weird it's strange otherwise you know they do a pretty good job i would say overall of setting up the characters it is a good pilot in the sense that like it leaves you wanting more at the end because it ends with Logan Roy you know going into the hospital and you don't know is this guy dead is this how the show because I mean that also very well like that's that could have been the whole show like you could run the whole episode have Logan Roy just die at the end and then that is succession right it's all about actually fighting for his crown obviously they went a different route and I think that's better but um yeah I, I overall what do you think of this episode I think the ending is effective you know a good pilot leaves you wanting more um, I don't know why you would ever cast Brian Cox and only, you know, get him for one episode for an entire show. So it definitely makes sense. They went the alternate route. But uh, yeah, I think also season one, Logan Roy, and uh, this is probably his his best episode in season one by far. But he's kind of just used as a plot device. Um, obviously, he gets sick here and then going to the next episode, too. I mean, he's not even around, really. And I think that's why this season suffers a bit, um, just because he is by far the best actor in this season. And uh, kind of losing him early, I think, takes the wind out of it a little bit. So I feel like you feel that a little bit at the end of the episode. Uh, but some of the character introductions off the top, I did want to talk about uh, Logan Roy just like pissing on the carpet. Yeah. So, the I mean, opening <laughs> of the, sh the very first shot yeah, is yeah. just darkness. Logan pissing on the carpet. Quite kind the of strange. Yeah. I, I don't know about that one. Uh, in hindsight, I think it's definitely an interesting choice, but kind of weird for for that character especially for you know what he what he is what he's going to do down the line uh the opening that i like a lot more for a character is of course jeremy strong as kendall 
um, which of course they did a callback in, in season four as well. But I think that's kind of iconic for his character. Uh, you know, it kind of just shows like who he is exactly. Like he's so lame. Like He's <laughs> listening like, to an open letter to NYC by the Beastie boy. So he's got that, like, I'm a part of the New York cool culture. Um, but then, like you said, it cuts, the music cuts out. And yeah. It's just him rapping in the back seat. And <laughs> yeah. Brownstones, water towers, trees, skyscrapers, fight fighters, and Wall Street traders. We come together on the subway cars. What's up, man? We're here, Mr. Roy. This is it. This is the day we make it happen, Fikret. You're the man, Mr. Roy. You're the man. Fick Red is just driving the car and he's like, oh God, this kid, this kid. Yeah, I think it shows his personality kind of perfectly in that he is kind of a dickhead, but just a poser. He is who he is. And uh, you know, he's not gonna change either, but he is very lame, I think. So I, I think that's a cool intro. Also, the Roman intro is kind of interesting. Uh he brings in like this spiritual sage person. Like, <laughs> like he doesn't even work there. <laughs> He brings the guy in. He walks in. He's like, I'm going to burn sage. Then he doesn't burn sage. <laughs> and then he's like, I've got essential oils. And Roman's like, ah, just fuck off. And he leaves. <laughs> that, was, that was it. I mean, that's that's like pure Roman stuff, though, right there. Kieran Culkin is obviously great, but kind of a strange intro, I thought, for his character. Um, and the, the other character I wanted to touch on, too, is uh, season one Greg, who is just... Yeah, his <laughs> intro, Cody. <laughs> he's got the one-hitter <laughs> smoking some weed in the car. <laughs> I low-key forgot, like, threw up in a mascot costume at the amusement park. Uh, great origin story there for Cousin Greg. He really becomes a powerhouse down the line as well. So seeing him in season one kind of as this ultra-vulnerable nobody, I think is really fun. And just, like, how innocent he is as well. Uh, in my favorite episode, he is kind of already turned on a table from that. But I really like, obviously, the acting from everybody here. The Another thing that did stand out, I feel like for some reason, uh, some of the non-English, excuse me, non-American actors, uh, sometimes their accents do peak out a little bit more in season ones. The obvious ones are uh, Sarah Snoke as uh, Shiv and then uh, Matthew McFadden as Tom. Uh, of course, they. Uh, I believe Tom is is Irish and uh, Sarah is from English. He's English. English. Yeah. He's got a hell of an accent. I don't even know where he's from. It's from but, Norfolk, uh, England. I love it. I do really like his accent. It sounds really weird. Um, but I don't know. I, I think obviously for them, I think the accents are a little bit hard off the bat. Well, especially when they're working together. Like that's such a, like you've got two people who's yeah. not their accent. It's like fighting against each other. I think their intro as well is pretty interesting. It happens right after the Roman intro. They're standing instead of like a, in front of a Cartier store <laughs> trying to like, he's, he's so interested in, in trying to get Logan the right gift and she's dealing with her politics stuff. So it's kind of like setting up their relationship of not really ever being in full communication with each other. Um, and it's also, I think, very important that they introduce those two characters together as kind of a unit. 100%. I think character wise, uh, it is mostly good setup for the pilot. 
a little bit kind of boring. The whole baseball stuff is like it never really comes up again either. It's kind of a that's the one thing. If if they brought the baseball back, if we got a callback in season four, if there was another cool. game that yeah. I would like it so much, I think it is a really cool moment and it stands out in the pilot. It's an interesting thing, and they're like the game, and it's like it's it's building a culture. It's showing the family, right? But when we just forget about it and move on, it's it's less interesting. Yeah. I mean, birthdays, you know, past this is, uh, of course, the the famous Kendall rap. Um, <laughs> a couple other <laughs> moments too, but yeah, bring back the baseball. I don't understand how you're going to set up, you know, a Logan Roy birthday tradition in the pilot and then not bring it back. Kind of weird. Mm-hmm. A couple other things I wanted to mention uh, at Logan's party, because I feel like there's just so much that happens there. I love when Kendall's kids, kid slash kids, we don't know, whatever, they get there and Rava, he like looks at him and he's like, Hey, sorry guys, I haven't Skyped you in a few days. I've been busy, which is just like something that Succession is so great at. Just like a little throwaway line that sets up, okay, this dude's a shit father. He's not been paying attention to anything. Um, And then the other big moment of the party is just the fact that Kendall's even there. Like he's got this whole deal with this Lawrence Yee character, which comes up again in the season finale. Um, Lawrence from Volter, he's trying to acquire this company. He's trying to pair that with the CEO announcement and, and, you know, kind of have this big, you know, crowning moment for himself. He's going to buy Volter and he's going to, you know, become the new CEO. He's not having a lot of success with the Volter thing. He shows up to his father's birthday party, despite that fact. And I think that very moment when his dad sees him arrive there, whether or not he's of his full senses because of whatever brain hemorrhage he's about to have or not, that's when he realizes that Kendall doesn't have what it takes in his eyes and that, you know, cuts him off and makes him decide that he's not going to make him the CEO and and kind of, you know, sets in motion the entire events of the series. And I think it's a very pivotal moment. And I think it's a moment that, you know, comes up later in the series um, and throughout the series, this idea of having a killer instinct and whether or not, you know, Kendall's ready or, or whether any of the kids are ready and whether maybe Tom maybe is more ready than others at some points. <laughs> Spoiler alert, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe you're reading into that a little bit much. Um, yeah, I, obviously the killer instinct thing is definitely something I'm going to talk about. It, it's tough to tell, I think, character-wise where even everybody is in this first season because it's not completely spelled out. I don't think great, especially with like all the rewriting crap. Like Roman is kind of not the same here in the pilot. Kendall's a lot more kind of tuned down, I think, a little bit. But yeah, th- there's definitely a lot of foreshadow throughout that. Obviously, in this pilot, it's it's set up that Kendall is three years sober at this point, which I think is an interesting thing. You know, he's kind of, you know, it makes sense. He's built his way. He's on the come up. You you When you start a series, there has to be like some inciting event, right, that you're like basing it around. And I think, you know, placing at this particular moment in time is really interesting. I think it's a good choice of, you know, you know, child about to become ceo gets that taken away and then father you know takes a big you know health fall it's definitely a good kickoff point i think and uh i don't know season one is definitely my least favorite of the seasons i think pilot wise like the first episode probably is you know of the top three of my favorite from season one i would say so definitely a good kickoff point of course uh tom giving the watch to logan and going, it's very accurate. <laughs> Every time you look at it, it tells you exactly how rich you are. And then Logan being like, uh, did you did you practice that? And it's just awkward, like, no, well, yes. Um, and, and like, that's the stuff that, that Matthew McFadden, despite maybe his accent slipping through at times, is so good at. He's so like awkward and 
and like he just goes back and forth and is so like unsure um but he plays it in a way that is still like lovable and believable and interesting i think the cast as a whole was great and uh they all kind of have their their little quippy one-liners uh throughout the show obviously but yeah acting and writing i think is 100 is, is the strong point in the show and of course, Tom and Greg get a moment. Uh, Tom's coming out. I mean, Tom's like trying to kiss Greg. In this Let me kiss you. Yeah. <laughs> it really sets them. I mean, I will say that relationship. I think they stayed pretty true to to what they uh, were building there. Yeah, best relationship in the show, I think, by far. Let's move on to our next episode. We skipped over episode two. We move over to season one, episode three, which is the lowest rated episode, Lifeboats. To give you an idea, this episode has a 7.6 out of 10. So 7.6 is the lowest rated episode. Um, and from this point on, an episode never drops below an 8.0 on IMDb. Wow. That's pretty crazy, honestly. And um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of do. I, I am able to see why this is the lowest rated episode, uh, in my opinion. I mean, it's kind of boring, I think, uh, from certain standpoints. And uh, I don't. I don't think all the jokes really really land either. The standout scene to me is kind of the introduction of uh, you know Roman and uh, Kendall to the whole boardroom there, and um, kind of like all of Roman's jokes. I think kind of miss a little bit there at times. Kind of just weird interaction. I mean, Kendall even starts off the meeting going like, "Yo, what's up, guys?" Memed. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like yeah. this episode might not be the. This might be the lowest rate episode, but it has like a lot of iconic succession moments like i feel like the just wanted to set this up so i could say yo <laughs> i mean that's been memed all hell yeah yeah and uh overall i mean like i said not a ton happens here uh, it's kind of just a lot of build up uh for the remaining of the seasons but i feel like that happens early on in, in seasons two it's kind of a lot of exposition which is definitely necessary for a kind of tv show like this uh, another thing i want to point out from the board meeting too i don't know if you, you noticed this but uh the nurse from uh scrubs Carla, judy reyes yeah yeah she's in a couple episodes in the first season she's really? around yeah i did not even realize because obviously uh when i first started watching this i think i told you that on our scrubs episode and you're like i don't remember that i probably wasn't <laughs> yeah i would have never connected those dots uh but uh, yeah i read you watching this time i was like holy shit i knew who that is so i thought that was really funny yeah she's there she's just sitting there yeah she has a, she has some lines. She's around. I don't know. Like she's that's an interesting. Like some in succession, there's like some people that kind of just like show up and disappear. But yeah, yeah. just like like oh, it's just another business person. And I I think that's a cool thing about the show because they don't have to like introduce people because it's like honestly most of the time these people don't even care who the people they just work there. Are. Yeah, yeah. They just work there. They're they're cogs in a machine. I agree with you what you said like there's not a lot that happens and I think especially when you put it in the context of like the previous episode which we got bits and pieces of in the recap like a lot of shit happens in the in the second episode of the series because it's like okay yeah. we brought this we bought it from pilot where the series is being taken to order for a full season we've got to now Logan's dead like dead not really he's in the hospital and now all this shit has to happen so they find out that they're three billion dollars in debt Tom proposes to Shiv uh, you know, like Kendall and Roman agree to have their little power, you know, holding CEO, COO rules, like all that happens in the second episode. Then like the third episode is kind of just like a holding pattern of Logan is still sick. He's in bed. Nobody can go see him. Like some stuff's happening, but really just not a whole lot, like you said. And we're just waiting desperately to see Brian Cox again, which in the next episode we finally get some more of we we get a little bit of him of him in the end of the, the yeah. end of this episode um but it's not really what we want 
<laughs> it's a classic. It's honestly one of my favorite Brian Cox moments. Like you said, there are like great moments done in this episode of him being like to Kendall, even though he's gravely, gravely saying to be like, you're a fucking idiot, basically. Like you still don't know what you're doing. And uh, you know, I'm incompetent basically, and I still know you're a dumbass. So I love that. Another thing along with that character-wise, um, again with Marsha, like I feel like she's a major character in this season. And obviously after uh, you know, season one pretty much just disappears from the show. Um, so I'm not sure if, if possibly just um kind of the, the general audience wasn't too high on her character. They just wanted to go a different direction. But uh, also her actions are kind of not really fleshed out or explained. She's kind of just like the villain, I feel like, in this situation. Like obviously Shiv is freaking out. Being like, well, why won't you let me uh, see my dad? And um, I mean, it makes sense of why he wouldn't want to be seen. It's just, you know, she doesn't clarify why. And I think she really just comes off as, you know, kind of a, a meaningless character. He's kind of just a messenger and and not a nice person, but kind of just weird uh, kind of uh, direction they went with that character, I think. Yeah, well, we didn't mention in, in the last episode, of course, the, uh, the line from <laughs> Kendall about she's got our dad's dick in a super max pussy grip and she's juicing him until he croaks and then she walks in as soon as he says that so like that's i mean that's i guess the general idea of what her character is supposed to be right like they think she's just like the the foil i mean the, the whole thing in episode one is that he's trying to get her put on the trust and if he dies she'll basically have the power of two board seats which is a whole ordeal and yeah i mean she's like supposed to be the initial you know the reason that logan is turning against his kids at this moment you know so she's there to play a role it may not be the the best you know well fleshed out role but well put i guess her and logan are both just kind of plot points in this season in a sense uh that's definitely interesting another thing i did want to point out from this episode and uh, you may have to clarify here, but uh, there is a sex scene here between Rava and Kendall. I don't know. Do we see another sex scene throughout the entirety of the series? I can't think of one. There, I think, are Maybe some a Shiv few. Tom, there's some, well, there's some Shiv and what's his name? Nate uh, stuff. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> potentially like some borderline stuff. There, I don't think there's any more. Maybe some Jeremy Strong and that other, the Pierce um girl i can't remember her name naomi um naomi yeah the thing about the show i mean like it's very intentional it's like a sexless show to a certain degree there's like a sterilized business life i mean even when you think of like the character i mean there's technically two sex scenes if you count whatever roman did to the window in this episode (laughs) and and i mean his whole character and his like sexual deficiencies like there's there's issues with this family and sex as well um you know whether it's shit being promiscuous and you know know, (laughs) Kendall not being able to love anyone, Roman having his deficient. I mean, there's a lot of issues going on. Yeah, the Roman scene is uh, another fun one. I mean, it's basically like he gets so bored and he has so many emails. He's like, I guess I gotta jerk off. Yeah, it's kind of just like procrastination from all the emails, I guess. But yeah, that does fit his character kind of perfectly uh, in hindsight, looking back on it though. So I think uh, well done from from Kieran and that scene. Him like trying to scrub it off the window too. It's just so gross. <laughs> I think it works really well, uh, you know, in the context of the episode. Because he, like, walks out, he closes all of the shades, and he walks out, and he's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm open for business. <laughs> so, like, that's just such a good character. Yeah, that's a, the stuff with the trainer, I think, is not as successful, and I think that's it's also, weird. like, part of, because it's, like, yeah. weird, and they don't really, like, follow. I mean, it's, like, I guess it's playing into, like, the weird homoerotic, is Roman kind of maybe gay? It's the undertone stuff. But, yeah, it, I don't know. It just doesn't really work for me at all. Um yeah not not solid especially when it's like you you've got like 
Kindle and Rava, like somewhat interesting stuff happening there, you know, they're at dinner and he's like, if one of us is going to be unhappy, why does it have to be me? You know, classic dick line. Um, and then we're just like cutting to Roman talking to his trainer at 5 a.m. Like, I don't want to see this. I don't care. Um, what happened to his uh, wife and kid, man? That would have been a great segue. Yeah. What happened to, what do you think about Stewie? <laughs> What's up with Stewie? What are your thoughts? I think Stewie's great. Uh, give me more Stewie. We do see him a little bit in uh, the season two episode that I picked as well, which I kind of didn't, didn't even remember using that either. But yeah, season one Stewie is great. Uh, him and Kendall really broing out kind of in the coffee shops and stuff. I really enjoy that actor too. I, I think is underrated and he always had kind of just like really snippy dialogue scenes. But yeah, I'm honestly a fan of the character. I might say his name wrong. I believe it's Arian Moyed. I actually just saw him in a play on Broadway no this past weekend. Oh, wow. uh, a Doll's House starring Jessica Chastain, but he played like the second role. He was her husband in the movie. They kissed. Nice. Or sorry, Ooh. in the play. But yeah, shout out. Little smooches between uh, Stewie and, and Jessica. Good couple there. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, no, I, I think he's a really interesting character though. And I, I love even just like the character moments of him and Kendall. Like they mentioned like, Buckley school so it's like okay these guys are like childhood friends they went to school together they grew up they you know I think it's alluded when they went to Harvard together maybe later Greg in his doggy bag that's another moment from the show that I feel like is a huge one that I've seen so many times the video of him putting the cookies in the in the dog poop bag and uh Tom accosting him the bags are not pre-pooped Cody (laughs) (laughs) thankfully not yeah uh season one greg i think is is the best just an icon <laughs> like i was saying just you know so innocent hey man he, he couldn't even uh, he was wearing deck shoes as well with an entire also a, yeah excuse me greg are you kidding hey tom forgive me but uh we talking to each other on the poop deck of a majestic schooner is the salty brine stinging my weather-beaten face why the fuck are you wearing a pair of deck shoes, man? Oh, yeah, no. Well, my credit card got maxed out. Um, I'm staying in a youth hostel on like $80 Jesus, a day. Jesus, how squalid. Dude, are you carrying dog shit? No, no. No, it's, uh, it's free, right? I'm, is that cool? I mean, I don't, you know, don't want to be melodramatic, but my body is growing weak due to a lack of sustenance. But in a dog poop baggie? Yeah, I have a bunch of them from back home. That's disgusting. Not really. It's like, it's not like they pre-poop them or something. Like, it's not like they're just bags, really. Yeah, Tom ripping him, I I think, is always classic as well. That that duo in any scene is is must-watch. But, yeah, season one, Greg, you know, he's even struggling just just to get a job, just walking in the door. Uh, Nobody even knows his last name, and somehow he got hired. So, yeah, I I think Greg Hirsch? Are you Greg Roy? (laughs) Great character. I think uh, one of the, you know, best well-written uh, on, on the entire show throughout its entirety, but especially in season one, they just have so much of the fish out of water stuff to play with. This episode, we do get the uh, introductions of Carl, Carolina, Jerry. Um, so those are some huge characters that are not in the pilot that, you know, obviously become very pivotal to the, the business workings. Um, It's weird because it's like Carl is there early and, you know, even Carolina's there. Jerry, I think, is always pretty prevalent in, in, in our minds. But like Carolina and Carl are around. But I feel like it's not until the later seasons where they really are having a lot of dialogue or really being like memorable characters. But they're still just kind of there. It, it's weird. 100%. 
That's kind of what you're saying too. I think they use that effectively where you kind of just get used to some of the people being in the background and then when they need them kind of later on. Yeah, it's like, how long has this person been on the show? Do I know them? It's, it's this weird thing. It's like, yeah, when Carl like, really, cause Carl like becomes pretty prevalent in three and four yeah. and it's like, oh wow, he really was here in season one, but I almost didn't notice him. Same with uh, like uh, Carolina and uh, Jess too, like Kendall's assistant. I mean, yeah, Jess is in this, this episode as well. And she's just always his assistant around. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's interesting. And uh, I, I really just like the writing kind of style of that. And uh, something we'll talk about in some of the other episodes too, but like the ultra realism of the show, I think is really cool too. And they play a lot, obviously of, of stuff that would never really happen in real life, but at the same time, they play it like unbelievably believable. So I really like that aspect of you really feel like you're in New York with kind of this rich media conglomerate, which I think is is really cool. Uh, one final thing. Um, I don't think Tom and Shiv have like a dog. Uh... Mondale, dude, dude. No, they, they have a dog. They just don't love him. Uh, uh, Mondale, right. Mondale does make some appearances later, but he is, is clearly like their future child uh, taken care of by other people. <laughs> Yeah, um, I want more Mondale, basically, but I forgot they had a dog this early on, so shout out to that as well. Shout out, Mondale. <laughs> Season 2, Episode 10, the finale. This is not for tears. Cody, you picked this one, so you've got to kind of tell us why. I knew you were going to pick a finale, but it was the question of which one. Yeah, and I think the beauty of uh, kind of the structure of, of the seasons of these shows is uh well especially i mean in in season one there is an aspect of you know a massive twist at the end kind of a little bit different from the other seasons obviously it's kind of like a really messed up twist uh you know a a kid ends up just drowning and kendall was there unfortunately so kind of strange it's almost like because it's like the kendall not to get too deep into the show but now we're in season two so we can talk about season one kendall turns on his father halfway through season one pretty early on and then the twist is that he goes back to him and then it's the flip like the way these twists are constantly it's kind of like they're mirroring each other constantly with the twists yeah and the season one the timeline is just weird yeah yeah and uh for season two though i think this twist uh worked immaculately uh for the end of the uh, end of the season excuse me obviously and they do something very similar in season three especially and a little bit in season four obviously there are twists in the finale which we'll get to but uh, this is probably my favorite twist of any of the season finales. And uh, I feel like this episode specifically was kind of like the one that made this show like one of my favorite shows. Um, it kind of has that, uh, you know, gravitas to it of like, this is a freaking great episode. Um, off the bat, obviously, kind of just keeping uh, most of the location on just this massive yacht. Is we do the, the most- thing that succession like starts to do really well in season three and four. We 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 travel. We're all over the place. It's not just a New York show. <laughs> True. Any tropical scenes in succession uh usually are going to be absolute bangers. And uh, this one is definitely not an exception. Uh obviously it's kind of just the idea too of somebody's head is on the chopping block here. It's almost like they're playing like a, a fun dinner party game, but it's actually real life where someone is going to, you know, go to prison for kind of everything that has happened throughout season one and season two, which I think is a really cool way to end it as well as, you know, finally the the actions of this, you know, corrupt institution are finally coming back to hurt them. So I think, you know, ideologically it makes sense as well. This is where the characters would be at. 
and of course just the one-liners the character moments in this episode are undefeated uh of course just everybody throwing everyone's name out uh the, them around the table of like okay so it should be jerry it should be this person like it's it's so great some uh moments i just want to talk about off the bat with that too uh rowan has such good like just material to work with this episode him talking about uh you know throwing in tom and then just some greg sprinkles, greg sprinkles. <laughs> who elmo and big bird <laughs> honestly tom i don't think he's a big enough skull no offense then how about tom with some fucking greg sprinkles what greg sprinkles yeah just a party pack he was a sweetener yeah yeah elmo and big bird i could start to see that and then you throw in like a carl or a frank okay. or a ray uh-huh okay. sure. yeah yeah no no why not well these are just examples no of course yeah no just uh, go ahead and work for you for 23 years what what precisely are greg sprinkles greg sprinkles are basically a fantastic garnish to basically anyone seated at this table Connor too, just being like extremely hammered and kind of commentating the whole thing is is just perfect for it as well. It keeps kind of that super light tone, even though it is kind of a very serious scene for everybody. And then another great scene as well in this too is is Tom kind of freaking out and eating Logan's chicken off of his plate. <laughs> Thank you for the chicken, Logan. <laughs> well, look, I want to talk about all the Tom and Shiv stuff because uh, yeah. it opens with them essentially they're supposed to be having a three-way with some woman that they've hired <laughs> of course that never happens but like this it's this weird setup um and the whole issue is you know Shiv asks for a open marriage on their wedding night and has been cheating on him with Nate um yeah. throughout the run he's upset about that he's, he's obviously dealing with that um this episode I think is feels really like I feel like season two is pretty compact in the timeline that it takes place in Kendall is dealing with the ramifications of the end of season one very heavily. You can still feel that like everything he does up until those final moments, he's weighed down by the person he killed, which makes sense. Shiv and Tom are basically weighed down by this marriage that they got into that they probably shouldn't have. Um, and, and Roman is, you know, weighed down whatever daddy issues he still has, mommy issues he has. Um, but yeah, like I feel like the season is very much connected to that. Um, and they're very much dealing with their marriage. There's a great scene of them on the beach sitting together talking. Um, Matthew McFadden is fantastic. He's, I wonder if the sad I'd feel without you is less than the sad I'd feel with you, which I think is a great line. And they just, their interplay is fantastic. And of course, like you said, like the fact that he's also potentially going to go to jail for this family. Yeah, I agree completely. I think Tom is, uh, and he will go on to be uh a very you know important focus of the episode and Matthew McFadden's acting especially in this one I thought was was definitely a standout he's kind of all over the place emotionally obviously his relationship is on the fritz he clearly doesn't want to do this three ways well and like you're saying I mean I feel like the kind <laughs> can of she just can she just watch us <laughs> could she maybe go to the bathroom and just look through the keyhole yeah that's a great line too but yes yeah, I feel like Shiv especially is is kind of just a terrible person this entire season and I don't know their relationship, especially in this season too. Like the power dynamic is just in completely in Shiv's favor, um, especially like with her even throwing out that Tom would make sense to kind of be the person who takes the fall in front of everybody. <laughs> like, anyone care to speak to my qualities? No, Tom looks logical. What? Cruises, document destruction. What? I'm not saying that it should be. I mean, I I'm saying you're like wow. family, which is wow. good, but also not family, which is kind of good. <gasps> 
Tom, it's the elephant in the room. We can say that. There's, no, we can't. There's no need to say the elephant in the room. There are 15 other elephants in the room. Tom, the testimony, you, you kind of put a target why on yourself. Why shouldn't it be you? Should, should, if it should be me, why, why shouldn't it be you? I'm not attacking you. I'm defending you. Well, it doesn't you. feel like that. It doesn't feel like that. Okay, fine. How do I work? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not saying you. I'm just saying. I, I mean, I'm I just... guess if we were saying Shiv, we'd highlight witness tampering and, uh, you know, that she was going to take over, but I don't know, probably. Probably doesn't work. Oh uh, yeah, too right. It doesn't fucking work. I don't make sense. I've never been inside. What about both of them, Shiv and Tom, Beauty and the Beast? That's pretty brutal stuff, I think. And and Matthew McFadden throughout, kind of showing that emotion of of how you know somebody would react to that, I think was really really good. And along with that, too, like the writing for Kendall, like you were saying, I think is immaculate uh, in this episode. What you're talking about before the Logan speech, where he ends up deciding that you know Kendall is the right one to kill, asking him, you know how come uh you know you didn't pick me for the job or whatever you're not a killer not a killer yeah you have to be a killer uh just brutal i think that is kind of a profound statement like you said and that really does ring home of you know where the character goes past that to you i think that is a really bold impact on that character um he uses the nrpi thing uh about the person he killed which is really awful the no real person involved this whole idea of like you know, if they're basically not a rich person or like, they're not, they're not real people. Like this is a servant person. He was a staff. He wasn't, he was a waiter there that died. And that like that moment, like Kendall realizes like, I may be a terrible person and all these people are terrible people, but I'm not my father necessarily. Um, and then he kisses him on the cheek, which I'm, I'm going to just assume is a biblical reference, like a Judas, because that's the whole thing. Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek right before he betrays him he's pointing out okay this is the person that you should arrest jeremy strong in the scene kisses his father on his cheek and then goes basically betrays him to the press and crucifies him to a certain degree which i think is a cool you know little touch there yeah like the maybe a uh a godfather uh reference too i don't know maybe a little fredo in there who knows jeremy strong i mean great uh great character actor so i'm sure he's pulling from a lot of things there I mean, we got to talk about the twist, right, Corbin? I mean, that is kind of the uh, the linchpin to this episode. Obviously, the whole the boat scene, I think, is really, really good. But I think it really brings home the cake when when Kendall obviously goes in front of the press. Yeah, I mean, I love that scene so much. I think the setup of it, the look and feel of the press conference, just the flashing lights of all the cameras going off. Even when he like walks in, there's a cool shot that like pans and kind of angles as he's walking past him. And then, of course, I mean, he sits down, he delivers a solid speech. He fucking gets up, he rips that shit up, and he walks away all sassy. I mean, Kendall, iconic. I I'll play the clip, of course. But... Good morning. Mr. Roy has a prepared statement he'd like to read, and then he'll take a few questions. Thank you. Good morning. I have an announcement to make about wrongdoing at Waystar Royco in advance of the upcoming shareholder meeting. I have been asked to explain my own role in the managing of illegality at the firm and associated cover-ups. And it has been suggested I would be 
a suitable figure to absorb the anger and concern. But the truth is that my father is a malignant presence, a bully and a liar. And he was fully personally aware of these events for many years and made efforts to hide and cover up. He had a twisted sense of loyalty to bad actors like Lester McClintock. Fuck and me. disregard for the safety of migrant workers, non-union and union workers, and for vulnerable performers and guests. My father keeps a watchful eye over every inch of his whole empire. And the notion that he would have allowed millions of dollars in settlements and compensation to be paid without his explicit approval is utterly fanciful. I have with me today copies of records that show his personal sign-off. How much those of us who executed his wishes bear responsibility is for another day. But I think this is the day his reign ends. I'll be providing the documents and can answer any questions you may have in the coming days. Thank you very much. Mr. Wood, do you have anything to say to the victims of these crimes? Did your father know you were making this statement today? <laughs> yeah, like you said, I, I think uh, very interestingly shot and uh, I really do like the style of it. Uh, but great speech, obviously, from Jeremy Strong. I really love as well the character moment at the end of Logan Roy kind of just having like this smile on his face like, Hey, maybe I respect this guy a little bit more because uh, he probably would have done something very similar in the situation, I think. So kind of cool to see that maybe a little bit of approval from his dad, too, even though he kind of just, you know, took him to the lowest place mentally. Uh, you know, he could have tried to at least. But yeah, really fun kind of ending to the season as a whole. Obviously, it's it's literally like the last five, ten minutes of the episode. So I feel like it is pretty unexpected and you don't see it coming. Just because, like you said, uh, the entire season, Kendall has kind of been this timid guy who's definitely, you know, had a he's lot. He's like a hurt little animal. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of him stepping back up to the plate and, you know, getting back into the game in a sense. So cool character moment. And uh, yeah, just really, really kind of great twist ending to a season, I think. One of the best of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, I think this is one of my favorite episodes of the show for sure it's got a 9.8 out of 10 as well it's tied for the second highest episode between this wow. season finale and the season three finale are both 9.8s um actually look i don't know what the season four finale is now at this point i mean a 9.6 so not quite up there but oh. yeah so season two and season three are, are very high up there very popular i think the whole boat stuff is fantastic because it's like all the best characters firing at the highest cylinders whether it's Willa and Connor like talking about the play and throwing the iPad or Carl and Frank just like doing their bits and like there's just so many great moments and then like you said the last 10 to 15 minutes it's a little bit of a turn and it's an incredible ending and it leaves you wanting more and you have to wait two years unfortunately this episode has a uh, Danny Houston which that means there are two strikers in this episode <laughs> striker what are you talking about brian cox played striker oh. in x2 and danny houston played striker in x-men origins so there are two general strikers 
from X-Men. Oh, yeah, the the uh, investment guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. X-Men Origins Wolverine. God, I wiped that freaking you know, <laughs> So Fair enough. Double down on the strikers. I like that a lot. <laughs> Season four, episode three, the highest rated episode. Cody, this is a 9.9 out of 10 oh, titled Connor's Wedding. But in reality, it is about a death. And that is, of course, Brian Cox's Logan Roy, who passes away over the course of this episode, or I guess very early on in the episode, but it's unsure if he's dead. What do you think about this one? Is it deserving to be the highest rated? It's a good question. I think it, it definitely needs to be considered. Um, also, just off the bat, obviously, Rip Logan Roy, hell of a guy. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this does kind of uh, stand up to the season two finale and the season three finale of this is probably the biggest twist in the show. I, I think uh, it's got to be up there for sure. And uh, it's not a season finale. So you, you see it coming even less, I feel like. Uh, yeah, this is a great episode. I mean, we'll go into all the specifics, but how unexpected it is off the bat, I think is is definitely important. Just because like it's 10 minutes into the episode, you still have a couple scenes kind of before you get to this moment. So it even catches you more off guard, which I think is is cool. Um, also, I, I wanted to mention the uh, the first time viewing this, I did actually think like it was a play from like Logan or Tom as as like something to gain an advantage in the situation. And um, on rewatch, I think it is even more powerful of kind of the emotion involved with this. Obviously, we we talked about before too of kind of the camera style of they did pretty much just all of this on a one take basis and did it a couple times and they did pretty much use just most of the footage from I believe the first take that they did. So kind of just at execution style, I think is insane. Um, it's it, they basically just did a play. They're they're just acting this entire episode out. Right yeah, now. I think um, it was a, a twenty six minute long. They said like one or of. I mean, they, I mean, it wasn't really a one or. They had three different cameras because they again right. shooting on thirty five millimeter film. So they're filming the whole thing, and then one camera would swap in, and then they like went back and would shoot like real coverage. Okay, we're gonna shoot this five minutes. We're yeah. gonna shoot all the angles, but. Like you said, it was that oneer mixed in with some other takes that they used primarily, though. Just that feat alone, I think, is really, really cool of, of how they did that. And of course, acting awards everywhere for this episode. I think the majority of the cast will be cleaning up at the Emmys this year. Well, here's an interesting thing, because this season, Kieran Culkin and Sarah Snook have both entered themselves in as lead actors in the Emmys race. And, and of course, Jeremy Strong as well. So Kieran and Jeremy will be com competing against each other. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Kieran takes home the, the award. That's a tough one. Um, I don't know who I would give it to. I think I might give it to Jeremy Strong just because he's a psycho. But uh, Kieran Culkin is really, really good as well. Uh, Sarah Snook, I think, is a shoo-in, but... Yeah, I think, uh, like I was saying before, the ultra realism kind of just putting, you know, if, if you can't put yourself in the moment of, you know, this this stuff does happen at really weird times. Um, and it's also surrounded by a lot of kind of interesting stuff too. Uh, Roman, uh, you know, firing Jerry moments before. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the whole dynamic where they're at currently too. And then they're on their way to see Mattson on, on possibly closing the deal. It does set up the rest of the season, I think, very well. But it's also just kind of like that idea of, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. This stuff does kind of happen at the most inopportunist time. So kind of just a, you know, a, a existential thing too of, like you're saying, this this story, I think altogether 
it's a running theme of just like tragedy and uh i think this is kind of the start of the end of that and it's just really really emotional so I, I think the acting is is the standout here for sure yeah absolutely i mean it's a character study at its core i think it's a good thing that they decided to end it at four seasons because there's only so many times that they can do the same thing and and fall and fight and return and turn on each other like at some point it has to end and we'll get to the ending obviously with the next episode but like them killing logan roy in the third episode of the final season was like a very solid like note and letter of like okay this is the beginning of the end and we're off to the races here and in the next seven episodes are like an almost entirely different show in a certain way but it's also a show i still loved and thought was fantastic this episode is extremely well acted extremely well directed in terms of structure of the season you know doing it in the third episode i think it's kind of an interesting mirroring of that first season because you've got he's in the first episode but then he's 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 kind of out of it really for the full first episode and his character isn't really logan roy yet and then the second episode he's not there third episode he's not there and then he makes his return in the fourth so you get four through ten with kind of logan roy there right now in this one he's there for the first three and then he's gone and fourth through ten it's it's up to everybody else so it's like you get one full season of, of no logan basically sure. <laughs> but and, uh, i do feel for brian cox as well because i mean i think for him this is one of his favorite characters that he's ever gotten i don't life. know i it but also it seemed like he was he was fine with not just being done with it. <laughs> He's kind of <laughs> I mean, he probably still got paid a ridiculous amount of money, so I doubt he cares. But yeah, I mean, like you're saying, it's just shocking to take him in out early, but I think it is very effective and it was definitely necessary for the show. Obviously, like the the show is called Succession. So I mean at some point there has to be a battle for succession. He was never giving it up, so We've yeah. learned that about his character at this point. <laughs> That's true. Um, and um, just some writing stuff I want to talk about too. Kind of just like the uh, the idea of unbelievable grief um, kind of overtaking the kids. But then at the same time, like there's still a power struggle, you know, going on between like they, they want to put out an announcement pretty much immediately on this stuff. And like just kind of putting yourself in the kids' shoes of like, you just found out like one of your parents has died and then oh you you still have to like think strategically in this business decision because it is like what they've been working towards their entire life but trying to deal with those emotions at the same time i think it's a really interesting concept and honestly not something i think i've seen too much in in any sort of media so i thought that was cool to look at and also uh, uh another thing writing wise which i really really like is well i don't know about the setup of like tom putting the phone in uh, logan's ear i think that's kind of you know it is what it is you can think whatever you want about it but i really love all of their conversations with him um because it's all like most of it is like off the bat like oh like this sucks i love you like you're a good dad and then they're all like oh wait like you're a terrible dad fuck you <laughs> well and each interaction is so unique to their character and it yeah hey dad uh uh, I hope you're okay. Uh, you're okay. You're you're going to be okay. Uh, because you're you're a monster, and you're gonna win. Cause you just you just win, and uh, you're a good, you're a good man. You're a good dad. You're a very very good dad. Uh, you did a good job. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do that. You can. I can't. You, your turn. Am I by his ear? Yeah. You're by his ear. If he can, if he can hear, he can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, hang in there. Yeah. Um, 
be okay. It'll be okay. I know we love you, Dad. Okay? We love you. I love you, Dad. I do. I love you. Okay? Uh... And it's okay. Uh... Oh! Oh! Okay! Hey! Hey, Dad! Uh, hello? Um, you're gonna be okay? And I'm sorry, is he dead? I don't know. I don't know if he's dead. Is he fucking dead? I don't know. Tom? Tom? Hey. Hey. Is he, is he even alive? I don't know, honey. Are you just being nice to me? Is he gone? He's, uh, I don't, I don't know. We, he, uh... We don't know. We don't know. Okay, I'm putting you back there, okay? Uh, okay. Well, um, I don't know what to do. You're by his ear. Yeah. I'm gonna okay, just, back. um, just, like, go private, be somewhere private, just speak. It's weird, but speak, okay? Like, uh, you never okay. know, he might hear you. Uh, Dad? Um, hey. Dad? Daddy? Uh, I love you. Uh... Uh, don't go, please, not now. No, I, I, uh, I, 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 I love you, you fucking... God, I don't, um, there's no excuses for me. But, I, but I, I, fuck. I don't know, I do love you. And it's okay. It's okay, Dad. It's okay. I love you. I... You want to stay on? Um, I think the writing there was was really really well done, and uh, kind of just those mini conversations kind of encapsulate each of their relationships perfectly with their father, and uh, kind of like you said, it's just a good jumping point for the rest of the season. Throughout this whole thing, they're having these interactions, and yet they forget about Connor the entire time, which is another just like, well, first of all, it's just Kendall and Roman, and it's they forget about Shiv, and then they finally remember to go get Shiv, and really it's just because Tom is asking for her, and then on top of that, they, I mean, their dad is dead, dead. When the, by the time they're like, oh, we should tell Connor, the guy who's literally getting married today. Also, this is, again, another instance, like I brought up, you know, it's Connor's wedding day. That's a big, huge family moment. Logan, he's choosing business over a family moment. That's the killer instinct. That's the, you know, that's the thing that he didn't see in Kendall in the first episode. It's, um, it's the thing that Tom's there with him, you know, showing right by his side when he goes to, to Sweden, to Stockholm with him and misses uh, the wedding. Yeah, that's true. I think it's also just the running theme. <laughs> Nobody in the family, you know, gives two shits about Connor, which, you know, you definitely feel for the guy, but a fun character, him and uh, Willa's, they do have like some really sweet moments in this episode. I would say probably their relationship peaked in this episode, uh, in my opinion. But yeah, he's kind of always in the background of the show, which obviously they do intentionally because he's clearly in the back mount, background of all these characters' minds as well. So, yeah. We love you, Alan Rock. <laughs> Shout out, uh, uh, Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day. Cameron, album. Cameron the boy. Hell of a movie. Love that movie. What do you think about uh, Carrie and, and her character and her reaction to things? Her character's a weird one, I think. Um, obviously, Logan, I, I really like her interaction I, uh, with at the funeral with like Marsha and um, 
you know, their mom, the kid's mom and stuff. I thought that was cool with her in here, her kind of being, you know, hysterical in a sense, not, not like in a, in a mean sense, but her like laughing and stuff, uh, kind of just in complete shock uh, from the situation. I think, again, yeah, is like an ultra realistic thing of definitely something that, you know, people could have a reaction to after seeing something super traumatic like that. Um, even I, I may have a, like a reaction like that. I would not be surprised <laughs> at all, but yeah, I think she kind leads of leads to some great, some great lines, Tom. Yeah. She looks like she just caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium, and Frank going or, or Carl going uh, chuckles the clown here. Yeah, yeah. great stuff. Uh, of course, they're gonna you know dig her on, on the plane there, but yeah, I, I think it's an okay ending kind of to her character in the show altogether too, because she's not really necessary to the story, I don't think. And having her interacting with Logan is entertaining at times, but it's kind of just an easy excuse to get rid of her as well. Yeah. When it comes to like the business stuff, I think this is the episode that kind of shows very early on that it's not going to come down to Roman and Kendall or Roman and Sh it's going to come down to Kendall versus Ship because you see Kendall stand up. Okay, this is the day that our father's dead. Everything we do will be the thing that we did our day. Our father died. We have to act. We have to you know put out a statement. We can't send planes around. So he kind of he steps up and is the business minded person. And in the same way, Shiv delivers the speech. I mean, she's the one who prepares the statement, delivers it. She has her moment. And I think both of those are kind of leading to believe. Okay, either of these two individuals are are the really the two horses in the race, and and Roman is going to be too emotionally wrecked for the next you know seven episodes to ever step up fully i agree the whole pre-grieving thing i feel like you can kind of see right through automatically uh, with that character yeah shiv's a, i think shiv is um a really strong character uh season four up until uh you know a few moments at the end but yeah i really like her speech up too of like we're not taking any questions and then there's an immediate question of like who's going to be kind of involved with all this be like Oh, we'll, we'll be there. So I, I really like that line from her too. But yeah, that, that was kind of the main battle of, you know, who's taken over, obviously. You would think it's between those two, but, uh, you know, things may change down the line. But definitely a really, really good episode of television. I, I think it is deserving of, of a 9.9 .9 and uh, the highest rating. Maybe not what I would put as the highest rating, but I mean, it's got to be like in, in your top five, top three, I feel like. I also love just like the stock price thing, the dip they show. They're like, oh, that's dad. And I mean, again, yep. it's another like callback to the first season when he's incapacitated because the exact same thing. I mean, stock price dips. They're you know about to default on their loan and they're they're struggling. Without Logan Roy, this company is is really nothing because his kids are not serious people. <laughs> Facts. I love the piano score that uh, is played when. Logan's body is taken off the plane. It's, it's another great example of Bertel working with music and creating something really beautiful. It's mournful, but it's also an, an adaptation of, of what we've heard before.
Um, and the final shot of this episode is is one that is very similar to the final shot of this show. It's a it's a profile shot of Kendall kind of looking out and with the sun behind him, and it's it is it's a it's this you know kind of iconic Kendall shot I think that continues to pop up. Yeah, a lot of sad Kendall shots in season four. <laughs> stuff. There was a great Jerry moment in this episode, which we didn't see much for in season four. Pretty much just two specific scenes with uh, uh, Roman, obviously, and her getting fired here was was definitely a good scene here. But yeah, wasted Jerry in season four. Kind of just what I want to point it out there. I agree with you. Definitely need more Jerry. Season four, episode 10, the finale of the show with open eyes, an hour and a half long finale. What do you think, Cody? Um, I think it's it's very well made and very well written, very well acted, obvious, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think it's I, I don't know if I if I love it maybe as much as you do. Because it is just a sad ending. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just really, really depressing. Like, I feel like the context, and uh, this is obviously kind of fast forwarding all the way to the end here, that, but I don't know. It, it's kind of just like Shiv's decision. We can definitely talk about that too, but kind of just where Kendall leaves off as a character, I feel like it's really depressing. Uh, but uh, we can start back at the beginning too, because I think it is interesting that the writers do set it up the way they do throughout these these four seasons as, like you said, like, these characters are not serious people like they probably don't deserve to take over this company um they're obviously major players and really you know they should have uh you know in this episode taken over but at the same time like i feel like kendall would have probably been a really been a ceo um even though i think it'd be entertaining but like it's set up in the show that they probably shouldn't take over so i feel like it does make sense i mean it's the thing of like Kindle did kill somebody like he, he literally was like yeah. driving under the influence crashed a car and a kid drowned and died right like Roman's a, a sexist misogynist right wing you know like I mean you know he, I don't think he actually really cares about anything politically but like he's just not a good person Siobhan I mean she's a, she's cheated on her husband and is greedy but i guess she has at least like better moral political views but it's still just like i mean they're all just like rich people who don't understand real world problems and they're what armstrong is commentating on right like it's it's a satire of these people it's that, that's the thing it's like as tv watchers and as watchers of, of really anything like we want a hero to root for we want main characters to succeed and yes it's a testament to the show that their actors and their writers can make us want to root for the guy who killed a kid two seasons ago and want him to be the ceo but at the end it was never going to end that way like you said it is a tragedy it's 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 the same as breaking bad you know like this show isn't about how this dude became a, a meth cook and then like his cancer got cured and everything worked out for him like you know what i'm saying like the sopranos he was a big mobster and he had all these anxiety the show ends it doesn't end with him you know like moving away and having a wonderful life with retiring with his family like he's probably dead like that's how these big like tragic character pieces end despite the fact that we want to root for these characters and and see them succeed agreed agreed with that obviously um but i feel like this episode kind of sets it up too where it's like it's a really good finale i think too because it does have a lot of really good character moments kind of puts a bow on things sometimes um and there's a lot of fun scenes too obviously the one of you know them going to hunt down roman and then they have uh you know to barbados yeah of course another travel there's a ton of uh uh kind of just like fun moments in that 
one of them obviously where they're just having dinner and and Peter comes up and tries to pitch them and just gets totally ignored, but for good reason. I Jonathan, mean. his friend, the great yes, John, the the whiz, uh, you know, accountant or whatever. But and then along with it, of course, you know, Shiv finding out, you know, she got screwed basically, um, and then them kind of re, you know, coming together and naming Kendall their king. Like all of that stuff is really good character moments, I think, and kind of bringing the siblings back together in the last episode. I thought it was done really well. The last stuff they shot, I believe, was, was those moments. And I think that's good. That they got to, the, the actors at least got yeah. to end on a positive note of, of them kind of celebratory, having their meal fit for a king, which Jeremy Strong apparently did really drink that nasty stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Method actor Jeremy Strong. <laughs> Hell of an actor, Jeremy Strong. Uh, he deserves a lot of roles just for that alone. Also, just getting it dumped on his head, uh, I'm sure it was very fun. Another conversation I thought that was actually really, really good and really interesting was the convo between Matson and Tom, of course, uh, where, of course, there is kind of the big reveal. I kind of I, I like the setup of it as well, where he kind of obviously he thinks he, he's going to get canned. That's the entirety of kind of Tom's character in season four is, oh, you know, he, he's really afraid for his job. And then Matson just turning it on the head of, you know, start pitching me on you <laughs> like oh what if you were just in the main job like how about that and uh, also him just like throwing in weird stuff about how you know matt's and him saying like he wants to have sex with shiv and- <laughs> that's such a i mean tom constantly <laughs> just like getting cucked out like it's so tough you know yeah. um but i mean i think and this goes back to the thing like it's not in this episode but in the the night of the funeral like tom doesn't show up to the funeral because he's working and Matson knows that, like, that's another reason, like, he sees Tom, again, working hard. And uh, even Shiv, I think, before, kind of pitches Tom as CEO without even realizing it. He's a, he's a cog in the machine, like, he'll do what you want. He's, he'll suck the biggest stick in the room. Like, that's, exa- that's exactly what Matson wants. He doesn't want Shiv to tell him how to handle his funky India numbers. <laughs> True. And, um, yeah, I think that's really well done, too, because like you said that's exactly kind of what Matson would want and Shiva I mean she really kind of just played herself the entire season uh which is definitely interesting but I feel like that is the the reveal for me that works best in this episode even though it is fairly early on um but yeah let, let's skip back to the end here Corbin because I want to hear your thoughts but I don't know the the Shiv decision of kind of bailing at the last minute when do you think she made that decision well, it's definitely premeditated, obviously, and I th- I think the giveaway is uh, the stuff surrounded around um, Hugo, who I always forget his name for some reason, but obviously earlier on in the episode, Carolina comes up to Shiv and is like, hey, like, uh, you know, in the turnover here, uh, let's get rid of Hugo, like, I've had enough. Which is another mention, I think, in the second episode, season two, the finale, there's Hugo's trying to get rid of Carolina in that episode. Like those two have a beef throughout the whole series. <laughs> and Logan's like, you dirty bastard. You're you're knifing your own boss or something. Like yeah. straight line there. But yeah, kind of uh and then obviously at the end when Tom eventually is named CEO and you know he's going around being like, Hey, let's let's talk, let's talk, blah blah, blah. obviously doing what he does, sucking out to everybody. Then Hugo comes up and starts talking to him and Hugo says to him, oh, let's talk, and, and Tom just walks away. So He's like, oh, hey, Carolina. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, I think there are a lot of stipulations of, you know, why Shiv did what she did, and we don't really know, but it's kind of just reversing the power dynamic completely between those characters. Obviously, I don't know. I mean, Shiv's vote for a yay is literally, you know, Kendall in the power seat. With Shiv in, in a fairly decent role, I think. Um, I think she's getting pretty 
put up high highly in that company structure, I would think. Um, and then going this direction, I mean, I guess it saves her relationship with Tom in a sense, you know, raising, you know, the kid should definitely be a priority, I would think, in, in everyone's life if you are going through that. Um, but as well, kind of just giving up her entire, you know, position in the company. So I don't know. I do want to hear your thoughts on it because I don't think it really makes sense for her character. Yeah, I think that's part of the thing that a lot of people have had problems with with this season finale. It's like a, a little bit of a questionable decision from Shiv. I think throughout the season, it's a little unsure where her motives lie and maybe they try and like use the pregnancy as an excuse for some of that. I don't think that's super successful. And But, but in this episode, you could say maybe the turn is like when Kendall and Stewie are like, having their bro out moment and he's making him like chair of the board and she's just kind of like sitting there disgusted. Like you can kind of see it on her face there that she's not happy, but it, I almost wish there was just like another scene or something that would have like built that out. You know, succession is always so great. And I'll mention it here in my top five in a bit where it's like showing you things and not necessarily telling you things. Like we, we could have gotten a little bit of a build up there of like Shiv, maybe like you said, doing some plotting, I think maybe you were supposed to believe it, it could be like a last minute decision. And then obviously the Kindle reaction is the nail in the coffin. Like she's never going to turn back from that. Yeah. And uh, that, that was obviously really good acting at the end as well, where kind of they just have this big blow up. Um, it turns into just a screaming match. And for some reason, Rowan and Kendall start wrestling. And uh, obviously when, when he brings up talking about, Oh, like he didn't, you know, kill anybody. Uh, like he just made it up. Like, you know, this guy's kind of full-blown gone. And I think as, or for myself, even as in the audience being like, yeah, like th this guy's not the right choice for the job. Like it definitely makes sense that she would turn on him because this guy doesn't even seem stable um, in any sense of the word. Fuck off, I just need a moment. I want to thank. Okay. Uh, think about what? W whether you want us to keep the company or hand it over to Tom and that piece of shit who killed our dad? Uh, I might have changed my mind. What the fuck? I'm good for this company. I'm, I'm, I'm good for us. You know, we all vote. We keep control. We don't. Then everything's over forever. Uh -huh. Here's the thing. I am like a cog built to fit only one machine. If you don't let me do this, I mean, it, it, it's the one thing I know how to do. Well, it's not all about you. I know. Yeah, you are not the most important one. I, I, I don't think I am. Yes, you do. You do. You do. You fucking do. You do. But shit, honestly, it's so fucking crazy not to just let me now. I mean, it, 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 it's it's stupid. We we all get something here. I mean, you're voting against yourself. You realize that? Uh, mm. Shiv, mm. Shiv, listen, please. I beg you, listen. I can do this. I don't think you'd be good at it. What? I don't, I don't even believe you. I don't believe you. I don't. I don't think that you would be good at this. For fuck's sake, Shiv! I mean, for fuck's sake! What the fuck is going on? It, it's, it's six to six, okay. and we don't have Shiv's vote. This doesn't make, like, logic! Where's the logic? No, I just don't think you'd be good at it. I feel like if I don't get to do this, I, I I feel like that's it. Like I might I might uh, like I, I might die. Shiv, can we go in that room? Can you just vote? Please. 
Please. You can't be CEO. You can't, because you killed someone. What do you, but, but which? What? Wait, what which? Mean, which? What, like, what, like you killed so many people you forgot which one? That's, that, that's not an issue. That didn't happen. Wait, uh, it didn't, it's, as in uh, what? Uh, it's just, uh, just, what it's just a thing I said, it's a thing I said, I made it up. You made it up? I, 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 it was a difficult time for us and I think I, you know, whatever, must have something from nothing because I, I just, I wanted for us all to bond at a difficult moment. Wait, it was a move? So, oh. No, no, not, there, were, okay. there was a kid, there was that kid. But so there was like, a kid. I had like a token, a beer and not, I, I didn't even get in the car. It's not. Hold on. What the fuck? I felt bad and I, I false memoried it. Like I'm, I'm totally clean, I can do this. Wait, did it happen or did it not happen? It did not happen. Uh, it did not uh, happen. I wasn't even there. It did not happen. Dude. Fucking vote for me. Just please, vote for me, Shiv. Vote for me. No. Yes. No. Shiv, don't do this. No. You can't do this, no. Shiv. No, absolutely yes. not, man. No. Absolutely not. No. Why? No, why? What, just... I love you. I really, I love you, but I cannot. Fucking stomach you. This is fucking disgusting. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. You're disgusting. You're fucking heartless. What? It's fucking nuts. It doesn't even make any sense. I'm the eldest boy. <laughs> I am the eldest boy. You're not. And you know, it, this, it mattered to him. He wanted this to go on. Well, I mean, she's the bloodline, though. What? I'm the, I'm the bloodline. We're all the fucking No, bloodline. I just mean if you're going to play that card, dad's view was yours weren't real. What the fuck did you just say? Well, just not real. Real. Um, well, that's just what Dad said. I'm just saying what Dad said. Well, don't say it, you fucking cuck. They are a pair of randos. One is a buy-in. The other is half robber, half some filing cabinet guy, right? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh. Let go uh, of him. did you say? What are you say? You have shit, no kids. Don't, don't do this. Okay, shit, don't on, do this. Hold on a second. Fuck shit, off me. Get, you piece of shit. get off me. Jesus Christ! Oh. Are you oh. fucking kidding me? Shit, no! Wait! Shit, wait! Fuck Can you! Just fucking leave Fucking child. Yeah, him and Roman wrestling is great. And um, them like walking out of the room after when everybody could see them the entire time <laughs> was super awkward. And I really like those moments too. We get a couple fights. We get a Tom and Greg fight early in the episode yeah. as well in this one. <laughs> um, some, some playful slapping in the bathroom. Um, but the thing is, like, his reaction is very similar to the reaction he has in that pilot episode as well. Like, he throws a little temper tantrum in the bathroom where he smashes everything up and then quickly cleans it. Like, this guy is immature. He doesn't have his shit together. Something else I noticed, it. I think he's not sober in this episode. Or at least he's he is drinking alcohol in Barbados. And I don't know if that's, like... I, I have to imagine it's an intentional decision of something that they're kind of indicating. Because he offers roman rum punch when he's sitting there and i to me like for a character who it's so important you know addiction is such a big thing for him whether he's clean or on drugs at different points throughout the series like the fact that he's drinking in the final episode is also like a, a big red flag to me and uh character wise i think that's a really good indicator of probably just where his head's at too so i like that kendall uh he was definitely not in a good headspace for this finale uh, and, and like I said already, like the his character ending, I think, is the most heartbreaking. He even has a line where he's like, 
like i don't know what i'm gonna do with my life uh you know after this like that uh, i think he threatens to kill himself even too so and of course uh there was an alternate ending that <laughs> has been circulating around on tiktok um you want to go into that Gord? kendall is walks toward the water and his security guy who was his father's security guy is following him um I, when I was watching it, I thought you were going to run to the water and jump over and and attempt to kill yourself. Um, you didn't do that, but I read that you actually, you as a character felt that way and you actually did a, a take that way. Yeah, I did. I, d I did try and go in the water. Um, one of the incredible things about working on something for seven years since we started the pilot and just having 40 hours a canvas of 40 hours of storytelling is just your your instincts for the thing um become uh a part of you and 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 are very alive and and um you know your job is to give the writing you know uh, uh heart and nerve and sinew and density and weight and all that stuff and then at a certain point, I think something, if you're lucky, something kind of ineffable happens and you enter into it. And the character has just been put through so much, has been through so much hell, really, mm. from the Chappaquiddick incident to, in a way, almost the most heartbreaking thing to me is the revelation in this final episode of this moment when he was nine years old at the candy kitchen, right. where his father says, one day this will be yours. And, and the sort of curse of that, the sentence of that. So I felt that this is an extinction level event. I didn't feel that For your I could character. come back from what happens to him. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they filmed multiple takes and apparently in one day he just, he, he got caught up and he climbed over. This, this was filmed in a location I've actually been. It was filmed in Battery Park, very oh, nice. southern tip of Manhattan. You can walk there. Um, and look out at the Statue of Liberty and kind of see Staten Island in the distance and Jersey to your right. So yeah, he's he climbed over the uh, the barrier and of course you know Colin the bodyguard rolled up and was like stopped him. But I mean I think uh, the thing is I don't want the show to end with him committing suicide, but I think that would have also made sense for his character. Obviously his interactions and his time like in Body of Water have been like huge throughout the series. Um, in the season two finale, he's doing some good floating uh, in the yacht water, but it's still a little sketchy. But I mean, there's different points where he tries to drown <laughs> a little bit. So, you know, water water is a huge theme for him. And the fact that he's, you know, looking over this these waves, I, I think is very pivotal. Uh, strangely enough, I think water is a massive theme for him. Even in season four here, where like everything works out for him after that presentation, like he goes for a dive in the ocean after. So... Yeah, it, that's, like uh, he's that's the first time he finally floats instead of sinks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I think is cool character wise for him too. But yeah, I, I think this is an effective finale. Obviously, kind of leaves you on a sour note. Which I mean, that's just the story of the entire you know kind of succession theme. I think, it, like I said, it is a tragedy, so it makes it it ends on that. But it still is succession. Like it has so much fun character moments. A really cool ending for Tom and Greg, I think too. Of like, yeah, like Tom kind of understanding like. Yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. Like, hey, cover my Greg, the power of the of a good translator app. <laughs> Greg, <laughs> once, I mean, Greg is always inside on information. He knew that Kendall was going to make his turn at the end of season two. Like, you know, he's he's conniving. He's flipping back and forth. I mean, it, 
throughout this season, I think it was pretty poorly done and he's kind of the joke, but in the end, like, I mean, he's got the most pivotal information. He's a power player. Agreed. Greg is uh, by far the best character in the show. And uh, I think it's a really good finale, but if yeah. I give you something incredible, would you give me something amazing? <laughs> yeah. Another great line. And um, him sticking the sticker on his forehead at the end too, just uh, mad iconic. So love that. You know, we never see these people work, but I think, like Roman said, like none of this matters. It's all bullshit. It's all fake. Like that's basically the ethos of his show and his his lines there. But like to the sense that it's all fake, like I think Tom is probably a better manager than most of these people. So it kind of also makes sense. Like he's he's done his time. He went to Cornell or whatever. Like he's, you know, Midwestern boys worked hard. Yes, he maybe married a little bit to get there, but like he's more competent than any of these kids. So it makes sense that it would be him rolling up with his crew and the succession theme playing for him at the end of the episode. You, you do make a good point there. Um, it's still Tom, though. I mean, I feel like he's, you can kind of see right through him as a character. But yeah, professionally speaking, you are probably correct. I mean, all these people are idiots regardless. So yeah, you're probably not wrong. And then, you know, something I want to bring up, you know, in episode three, like I said, Kendall brings in Stewie to have the private equity money to absolve the debt that his father obviously put them in. However, that decision to bring in those three and give them three board chairs, yes, Stewie votes with him, but the two Sandys, they both vote yes to Gojo being sold. So in the end, like the decision he made in his short time as CEO acting when his father was in hospice is, is what costs him the company all these, you know, seasons later. <laughs> that is true. I, I didn't even think about that. It's a great point there. Also, I mean, Shiv had a little part in it too, but yeah, that could have used <laughs> seven six. Could have been any votes. <laughs> they get any of them. <laughs> Love that. A couple other things from this episode. Of course, Jeremy Strong yelling, I am the eldest boy. Incredible stuff. Um, also, just him <laughs> talking about it being promised to him at age seven. I think his acting is fantastic in this episode from top to bottom. He's really great. The fight, like you said, between him and Kieran Calkin, uh, where he's talking about the kid you know Kendall's kids not being real a pair of randos buy-in one's a buy-in the other's half Rava half filing cabinet just an awful thing to say <laughs> um kids like brutal it's kind of off limits and for them at different points that they, they should you know don't go after the kids brutal stuff from Roman I wouldn't expect anything less than this is the only episode we've actually got of our five where we had Skarsgård our man Lucas Maxson so we gotta you know shout him out as a character he doesn't get to do a lot here but he does have uh the wonderful hey it's like uh Jesus and all his disciples up here and of course we have Judas in the room with us pointing to Greg <laughs> yeah that that uh little scene too of them like signing over the company is great Roman being like, do I actually have to go to this room? Like, fuck you, fuck you. And then him going all the way through the process and uh, the picture taking is great. And yeah, great. <laughs> any one-liner with Greg's reaction is just gold. So give me more of those any day of the week. Yeah, Skarsgård uh, is fantastic. Um, he's a really great actor. I saw a really funny thing where it was like, you know, his dad is is on an end is on a Star Wars show, like saying all these poetic lines, and then you've got a Matson on prestige HBO television just saying your numbers are gay and, and saying he wants to fuck shit. So um that, that's great TV writing for you, modern uh, modern pop culture. <laughs> yeah, I love uh Stellan Skarsgard as well. I Any final thoughts on the, the finale? Pretty much it. Um uh, I didn't ask you, did it uh make you tear up at all? Were you uh were you balling substance? <laughs> I will. I did not cry for any of these people. Um, I will say I think I liked this episode better on second watch, mainly because 
when you don't put it in context of the penultimate episode, it I think it's really great. But the thing is, the second to last episode, I think, is so fantastic and maybe so much better than this one that it like it, it doesn't seem as good when you compare them. But in the five, the finale is really solid. Agreed. I think uh, I liked uh, both the episodes in season four a lot more on rewatch. So I, I think there's a lot of, of value or kind of just like the acting, the filmmaking more when you don't focus on like, oh, what's going to happen to all my favorite characters and stuff like that. I, I think it is cool to kind of just relax and, and watch these you know episodes again. Are you going to miss Succession now, Cody? God damn, I'm going to miss Succession, bro. Like, I understand the the idea of keeping it to four seasons. I think it's smart. Obviously, we talk all the time of it's really hard to, to end a TV show well. And uh, I think they did end it really well. So props to, uh, you know, kind of everyone involved for being like, you know what, Let, let's just end it after this season. Let's not, you know, jump the shark or anything like that. Um, well, you know, gonna- I... I, w- I want to shout out, you know, the big picture podcast I listened to, Sean Finnessy, Amanda Dobbins. They were talking about like, you know, movies versus TV and how it's almost we've had this flip flopping of things of like movies have become these never ending stories where it's like giant franchises that will never end and will constantly go on and will never be a good finale. And they, and whereas like TV has become so much like, hey, we're going to actually like end this prestige drama after four seasons and and not make it go on for too long because we have a story to tell and while it may be too long for a movie it's it's not going to be you know never-ending franchisable ip <laughs> yeah i like that hey, and more tv shows i guess that's that's the uh the thought process to go happening <laughs> movies i mean fast and furious will never end marvel will never end so you're not wrong three more fastest fast and furious like a five the final shots of this, um, I think, are pretty interesting before we move on. Um, Roman sitting at a bar, he orders a martini, which is like, you know, Jerry's drink. So that's kind of like, you know, he's sitting there just thinking about that. Um, Shiv kind of half holding Tom's hand where it's like this. <laughs> I see you're shaking your head. What do you, th- what do you think about that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like a really weird character thing. It's like, I don't know. I feel like it's just like. I mean, in that moment, she's basically become her mother, I think is like the thing. Yeah. It's like she's completely taken out of power. I I don't know. I feel like Shiv characterized that. That sucks an ending for her. Uh, Roman, I really like that ending because it like even in this episode, he's like trying to convince himself that he still like wants the head spot. But then he's finally out. He's chilling at the bar. Like, I feel like that's his natural habitat in a sense. Well, the saddest thing. Got the little smile on his face. Like he's, he's happy a little bit, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think the saddest thing is like at the end of the day, Roman, similarly to Connor, like kind of just wanted them to be a real family. Like he wanted his sibling. You see that throughout the series of like those moments of like, can we hug? Can we like be real brother and sister? And yes, while he like uses jokes as a defense mechanism to not show any real emotion, he like he didn't care about the job. He cared about having his family and he's kind of maybe lost that. That is true. I mean, I think it's a sad ending uh, for all three characters, probably Roman the least. Yeah, I mean, where we live off on Shiv, and the final shots are all really good, obviously, I think, but the Shiv one really just irks me of kind of the weird handhold as well. I think that'll be iconic for a long time, but yeah, kind of just a weird ending, I think, for for that character specifically. And then, of course, the final shot of Kendall, He's oh, sitting yeah. there, like we already mentioned, Statue of Liberty, talking, looking over the pier. Um, but something I love is they they first frame him from behind, which is like the succession title sequence shot. 
of Brian Cox that they they use the old footage and then the new one of him sitting at the table. And it's the very similar Logan, or it's the very similar Logan to Kendall shot. And then they switch to the side angle profile that we've seen throughout the season, the classic Kendall Roy shot. And that's our final image. All right, let's move on to our top fives. Cody, what is your top five? Um, yeah, for my top five, I end up going a little bit more broad. I'm just going to go the top five dick moves or asshole moves of <laughs> of these four episodes, obviously. If we're going the entire series, there may be some more, you know, things opening up. But there are a lot of asshole moves, I think, in these specific four episodes. So I want to shout out my top five. Uh, number five, starting us off, I'm going to go Shiv. Uh shoving tom directly under the bus on the boat <laughs> saying yeah you know i think uh tom would make sense i mean come on in front of everybody your own husband uh kind of brutal ship so that's number five uh number four uh top five asshole moves uh the team wanting to make a statement around the half hour around uh after logan roy's death i think um this is maybe one of the more underrated ones i think this is mad disrespectful uh, from the whole crew carolina you know, you know, uh, Frank, Jerry, Carl. I always forget Carl's name for some reason. But uh, yeah, just not cool, guys. Let these guys grieve at least. You know, a few hours. You know, the press is gonna come out, but you the market's man. Statement. That's... Yeah, I mean, the stock is it's uh, dropping like crazy. Uh, regardless, uh, number three, I'm gonna go with Logan making Roman fire Jerry in the in the three. I, I don't know, man. That might deserve to be higher. <laughs> yeah that's well fair enough yeah i mean i think for me this is definitely a tough move obviously roman being the reason pretty much that jerry is getting fired and then be like oh you don't really want this but i'm gonna make you do it anyways classic logan roy move you gotta uh, you gotta prove yourself yeah uh number two i'm gonna go with shiv's betrayal in the finale of her brother's I think it is very, very tough, especially because the night before, um, like she was all saying, like, oh, you know, you're a king. Oh, eat this. You're a king. So uh, I think the next morning, kind of turning on that, pretty brutal, pretty quick turnaround. Obviously, there's some stuff we didn't see, but that's got to be on the top five. Uh, and number one, we've already talked about it a little bit, but Logan deciding to kill Ken after promising him the company of the child in that season two finale. Uh, specifically the you're not a killer line i think is the biggest asshole move of the bunch here and that's going to be my number one pick yeah that's a solid list definitely i mean it was probably expansive did you have any honorable mentions i mean there's too many to count a few honorable honorable mentions um roman dumping the uh meal fit for a king on ken pretty tough i'd be pretty pissed kind of an asshole for roman there yeah, gotta wear it if you're not gonna drink it. And then lastly, uh had to shout out Peter again. Uh come on, dude, just ignoring his pitch straight up. Brutal. The guy deserved better. So I had to include it, uh, you know, on the asshole list here. <laughs> I love it. My top five is going back to the showing and not telling. I think it's something succession so great at. They don't treat their audience as idiots. They won't tell you something explicitly, they'll show you, or maybe they'll mention it in passing. And it, you know, it's just you have to kind of pick up on things a little bit yourself. So here's my top five. First one, it is in the second episode we watched. So season one, episode three, it's right after Kendall has agreed to bring in Stewie, part of private equity. And then Greg is walking through Central Park and he just turns and he sees Stewie talking to Sandy. 
we know from earlier in the episode, Sandy is like Logan Roy's competitor because he comes to see and talks to Kendall. We know Stewie, of course, is bringing in this money. Greg sees this, but he doesn't really know what it means. He just kind of is like, oh, hey, like I know you guys, right? Um, but as an audience, we can put together, oh, hey, you know, Stewie's working with this competitor. He's probably going to bring him in on this deal, um, which we then, of course, find out about later. But I think it's just a cool moment like that where it's, it's showing you, but not necessarily telling you. I like that a lot. And um, I think his inclusion in that episode is kind of dumb because it's not really necessary, but cool reveal at the end. We didn't mention that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the villain reveal. Stewie's working with him the whole time. Yeah. Fourth thing is Colin making the kids sign the NDA at the game. Again, this is just like, it's not explicitly like stated, but he's like, you just a little one half scene where he's holding this watch. He's got the piece of paper and he's like, oh, hey, like we'd love if you didn't talk about this. And then it cuts to later, you see the watch sitting on their you know, table and, you know, it, it's pretty obvious what's happening, but it's it, it's not, you know, you don't see a scene of Logan having to be like, hey, go talk to those kids and get them to sign an MBA so he doesn't talk about that. It's just something that kind of happens naturally in the world, and we just get to be voyeuristic and experience it and see it happening. Um, and it's also just a great moment. It kind of shows, okay, this family's so rich, like, yes, Roman's going to be a dick and rip up a million-dollar check in front of him, but then they're just going to you know, pay him off with a, you know, $10,000, $15,000 watch. <laughs> Great character logan roy there too Love yeah that. exactly number three is just kind of the fact that it never explicitly says it says it but it is very clear that greg is the one who leaked it to the press that logan died whether or not intentionally he definitely does it because he's talking to that journalist girl at colin's wedding and you know they they kind of allude oh she's a journalist in the beginning of the episode and then he's like he gets the phone call oh, logan's dead and she's instantly oh is your uncle gonna make it and then right after that, oh, the press already knows Logan's dead. It's definitely Greg's fault. Um, I, and I love that illusion there because Greg is always causing problems. We haven't talked about this, my number two moment from the finale, and I want to get your read on it. Kendall smashing Roman's face into his shoulder. What did you think about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did not bring that up. Uh, again, just really emotional stuff. Obviously, it opened up... Um, his stitches, uh, which is kind of gross. Yeah, I, I thought it was really powerful, honestly. Yeah, so and again, it's like a, a scene where it's not explicitly stated what they're going for, but Roman's kind of yammering on about like, oh, like it doesn't look bad enough. The stitches are too good. Like they're basically going to think I'm a pussy because I wasn't around because I got injured or I got beat up or whatever, but it doesn't look like I really got hit. So, you know, it looks like I, I didn't really take a beating. So then Kendall's response to, and again, he's kind of acting in this role of his dad. He's grabbing him, embracing in, in a way that we've seen Logan embrace Kendall in the, in the moment when, you know, right after he killed that kid, you know, he puts him in his arms. He does that with Roman, but he shoves his, you know, his top of his head into his shoulder and busts his stitches open, um, which of course, like for Roman, for him, like pain and gratification is, is a whole thing. And, you know, he was abused a little bit as a child. So like, there's, there's all these layers to these character moments, but it's just something you see that they don't necessarily have to, you know, state explicitly. I like that one. Very deep character wise, I think. And then of course, the final moment we've talked about it, Brian Cox smiling at the end of the season two finale just lets you know he's proud of his son he's impressed it's game on this guy maybe he really does have it in him to be the ceo one day he's got the killer instinct and it's all just 
and a little smirk from Brian Cox. I think that's a great uh, list topper. Unbelievably subtle, like you're saying. They like nothing's mentioned of it, but that one I think is a hundred percent there and a really fun moment. A couple other things that I I wanted to mention. Uh, as honorable mentions, there's a there's a real sad shot of Colin when <laughs> Logan's body is being taken off the plane. So just like another character moment of, of him being depressed. And of course, he just lost his job too. Um, Kendall's temper tantrum. It's not really talked about, but it's just something we see throws his fit. Then he cleans it up and he walks out. Logan kind of walking past in the first episode, he sees his maid cleaning up the piss, which kind of upsets him. And then he sees this Forbes cover of Kendall and that also pisses him off. So then he's like, I'm going for a walk. Um, yeah, just a little stuff like that. Like there's, there's so many moments in other episodes. There's whether it be Kendall shoplifting at the end of one episode, like there's just so many little subtle yeah. things that build out the character. There's a scene um, in another episode where Logan takes off his shirt and you see all these marks on his back from childhood abuse it's like they're not going to explain this explicitly but you can put together what happened and what made him that way and I, I, that's just brilliant writing and direction some of the sister stuff as well that obviously got brought up Rose, you know, yeah. in in prior episodes it wasn't really you know touched on entirely of what all that stuff was about but definitely just like you said kind of deepens the understanding of the characters which uh doing it in that way too kind of is is really powerful when it is finally revealed kind of what and it, what is and it ups the reality like not everything is talked about like if people know things they're not going to explain it to the audience so it it makes the yeah. show feel grounded let's move on to our pitch we're going to be you know what would we see in the world of succession if they were to do something more i'm happy that they ended it four seasons i will say that um, I don't want to see a succession season five by any means, but, you know, I think there's definitely a potential for some spinoffs. I think it'd be really cool if we got a succession movie, maybe down the line, you know, they did, uh, you know, they, they, maybe they do, they do movies after TV shows. Sometimes I think, you know, get Mark Mollad to direct it, Jesse Armstrong to write it, put something together. Maybe it's the, the thing about it. And, you know, I'll reference this because I saw it recently James Cameron said he was writing a new Terminator movie, but he, you know, was waiting to kind of see what AI would do in the real world before he wrote the movie. Again, James Cameron, a hundred years old. So we'll see, you know, how much AI develops before he dies. But it's a similar thing of like, I almost want some time to pass in our culture, politically, economically, social media, technology-wise, and then, like, see them come back and create something that's a reflection of that. You know, obviously, they killed off their Rupert Murdoch, but we don't know what's going to happen to Fox when the real Rupert Murdoch dies. We don't know what's going to happen to all these streaming sites. Like, we're just seeing the ways that tech is really taking hold of media industries and conglomerates like this. So, like, give it 10, you know, see where we're at, see what the world looks like, how capitalism works, what Wall Street's like, and then maybe we can bring these characters back around. Um, I'd love to see the, the Tom and Shiv, you know, what the company looks like in 10 years with them, you know, as the helm and maybe, you know, Roman and Kendall come back and, and they have something brewing, you know, on their own. Yeah, I like that a lot. Kind of a super fast forward, kind of like um, some like TV shows do in their last season where they do flash forward a bit, but kind of just give it a little bit of time as well, which I think would be a really fun idea. And uh, yeah, like I think the idea of AI is definitely an interesting one too. James Cameron uh, sounds like a guy off his rocker already, and I'm sure he's not going to be working after 10 Avatar films anyways. So we'll see on that, but I do like the pitch. I, I think it's creative. What would you, uh, what would you suggest? I have a couple different ideas. 
And I do have uh, titles for both these as well, and they're super cheesy. The first one, I named it uh, Rising Empire. And uh, basically, it's just a thought of uh, kind of a show about a young Logan Roy. Mm. And I even cast it. Uh, give me a Leonardo DiCaprio, Corbin. How about that? <laughs> what? <laughs> they kind of look similar. I mean, he's 80 years old, Brian Cox, in this show. So I mean, so yeah. yeah, the thing is, in the first episode, Carl talks about it's Logan's 80th birthday. And he says, 30 years ago, I first came to you. So you could set it there at, at age 50. I mean, Leo's what, late 40s at this point? There you go. Bam. Yeah. It's when Frank Forsh shows up at the company and they're they're hitting it off in the 90s, man. Carl, Carl did big things for cable in the 90s. I mean, <laughs> yeah. get get a skinny Jonah Hill to play Frank. It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically kind of just like seeing uh showing the rise, obviously, of the the whole conglomerate and, and Logan as this kind of conniving character as a whole, I think would be interesting. Kind of like a better call Saul and kind of prequel-esque show, I think would be good. Show you know the cutthroat you know Logan Roy in his prime, uh, not when you know his olden days when he's sick and you know can't put you know general thoughts together. Uh, but my other pitch, it pretty much is just like a direct sequel to this. So I named it the Roys. So it's basically Succession after Succession, and uh, it's kind of just about the kids continuing lives. Shit, I mean, I kind of just want to see the Shiv storyline more than anything else because I think she's she would really be in hell for the majority of the first like couple seasons if we did do a show like this. I mean, your career shot, Tom having the power in the relationship and in the company, I think is not a good thing for them. Uh, and then, I mean, the other characters, Rome, kind of just, I think his storyline would be fun, like just being careless and, and loving life, not really worrying about anything. And then just go over to Kendall and he's just severely depressed. <laughs> I think the tones of the show would just be really fun to play Starts with. Starts a rap career. Yeah, you, you can do whatever he wants, really, but it's going to be depressing, I would think. That's the, here's the thing, though. You know, this show in sad, Cody. But they also did just sell their company for billions of dollars, and they're like yeah. some of the richest people in the world. <laughs> they do have a lot of money still, and I think that's where the, the tone would be fun because like all of these characters are in such different places of kind of are are they enjoying life? Or are they not? Uh, the one downfall I think is uh, there's going to be so much you know Kendall depressing stuff. It may actually kill Jeremy Strong, so we may just need to scrap it all together. But I would like to see a continuation. I, I do care about these characters. Do you think uh, they actually will buy Pierce now? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think so. But it's hard to back out of that deal, I would think. But I would think they're out. And Bill, I mean, it's chump change at this point. Maybe the spinoff is they invest in Peter's friend's company, Jonathan. They take that global and it's uh, Roman and Kendall running that shit. Yeah, I think a fun Easter egg would be Good like... backdoor them pilot. It would be like them releasing whatever their plan was and it was something that they could have all done together, like take out Madsen or something. I think that'd be a cool thing, like just like an extra thing to release of like a deleted scene of them actually explaining what what the hell they were going to do. But yeah, uh, Peter deserved better. That's all I got to say. Daddy's here, as he said. <laughs> <laughs> more or less, Cody, would you lost more or less episodes of Succession than just these five? After just viewing these five, uh, I, of course, am going to say many, many more. Um, of course, I am incredibly biased, but just judging the show kind of exactly on these five episodes, too, I think it is a pretty good kind of, you know, 
I don't know, like overall standing of of what you're gonna get. Um, obviously, season one is is a little bit different than than the other three, but I still I still think like it's it's still pretty good television, even if all of these were like season one. Obviously, it's not gonna be kind of the acclaim show that it is, but it'd still be something that I think I would watch and and rewatch again. So yeah, I would say many more. Obviously, how about you? Yeah, definitely watch more. And like you said, because it's only four seasons, like it's something that is a little bit more tempting to be able to rewatch. Yes, they're hour long episodes, but I mean, even the Sopranos, it's like you commit to watching that. It's like six, seven seasons, you know, Game of Thrones, eight seasons, like big prestige shows like this. It's, it's hard to get through. And this one, four seasons, it's not terrible. There is not a lot of great TV coming in the future because we have a writer's strike happening. I know people, I've never watched Barry, but that also ended at the same time as Succession. Everything major is ending right now because of Emmy voting deadlines. So like they have to end their shows by a certain time to be eligible for the Emmys. Taking over the spot on HBO is the new Sam Levison show, the creator of Euphoria. It's called The Idol, starring The Weeknd and Johnny Depp's daughter, Lily Rose Depp. Um, it's getting awful reviews. It's supposed to be not great. So we've got that on HBO and then we don't really have new shows coming out. So if you need something, go watch Succession, people. <laughs> go yeah, when eventually, it. When eventually you get bored of, of no, no new content coming out, uh, go and watch this because it's really good. And remember all the fantastic writers that it took to, to make it because, uh, yeah, it's showing this is, why, uh, this is why writers and writer rooms are important. Good dialogue. Yeah, it's like weird. Succession. It, it, it's almost like writers are really important. That's really weird. Crazy. Any <laughs> final thoughts on succession, Cody? I think we covered the gist of it. Um, obviously, uh, in recent years, one of my favorite shows for sure. And a really bingeable one, I think, too, which we didn't really mention. But yeah, love the show. Going to miss it a lot. But I think a fun episode. I- I'm glad we did it for First Friday Five. Yeah, I maybe we'll uh, return to it another time, pick another five episodes once we've, uh, you know, had a break from the show. But really glad that we got to talk about it so soon and uh, just dedicate a whole episode to Succession. That's what First Friday Five is all about. Oh, yeah. And I'm just happy we did a whole Succession episode. So, yeah, shout out to our new TV format. Love it. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. And we'll catch you with our next episode in July. Peace. Stay Kevin. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.